Blog Talk Radio. Championships are, are, are starting to get rolling, and it's time for some basketball. So, all the basketball fans out there, get ready. It's about that time. But first and foremost, always love to just start talking about the West Foundation. Who is the West Foundation? First of all, West stands for Working Equal Success. We started about five years ago, and we started with a free football camp. That camp has grown to a football and cheerleading camp. We've also had scheduled some basketball clinics. So we want to do some things in soccer, so we're going to do different sports. But the other big thing that we're doing is some life skills. Now, the purpose of the West Foundation is we want kids to understand that they can be successful without being a professional athlete. We understand that one day your sport's going to end. It might be when you finish high school at 18. It might be when you finish college. You might get three or four years, maybe some type of cup of coffee in the league. If you're fortunate, you might spend 10, 12 years in the league. But regardless, at some point, your sport's going to end. And what we want to do is help equip these young people with tools that will help them be successful. Now, part of that is giving them a vision of success. And the first thing that we do is at our camp, it's a little different because what we do is we have guys that played with me, but mostly guys that played for me that come out and be the coaches. So now they got opportunity to see somebody uh, from the University of South Carolina, from Miami, Miami, the Citadel, from Elon College, from Ohio University, from NC State, from the University of Texas, San Antonio, from Coastal. Guys that they've seen on the field, guys that they've seen on television. Some of them had an opportunity to play professionally but most of them were professional in something outside of their sport. But regardless of what profession they went into, they get opportunity to see somebody that's having success. 
And seeing somebody that has success now, I can relate more to that person. That person is going to work with them. And now they get that vision of success. And now they got opportunity to say, hey, if he can do it, so can I. And that's what we want our kids to do. Then we started doing some different life skill stuff. Um, to me, one of the most important ones is financial literacy. Because regardless if you make a million dollars a year or if you make $50,000 a year, less, more, in between, if you're not financially literate, you're not going to keep it. And that's what we want to do. We want to make sure that the young people we have opportunity to touch are financially literate. So we want to make sure that that's something that we, that we deal with. We're also going to deal with mental wellness, uh, leadership. We're going to talk about character. We're going to talk about dealing with police officers. Um, when the time comes and we can get back and, and actually have a in-person interaction, we're going to do something on etiquette. But different life skills that will help these young people be successful because that's what we want. We believe if we can help one, then we've done our part. So that's what we're working to do. Now, every day, I love to start with the thought of the day. And the thought of the day is the road less traveled. Robert Frost wrote a poem. It's going to be the first stanza and the last stanza. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Now the last stanza. I should be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Now, I believe that I took the road less traveled by. I went to the Citadel. The Citadel, military school. At the time, it was all male, but it was a brotherhood. It was an opportunity for me to learn discipline. It was an opportunity for me to learn leadership. And it was a, that's something that a lot of my peers didn't get opportunity to learn. Some learned in athletics. But most of them didn't learn until they got into the workforce. But why do you want to do what everybody else is doing? Why not? Why go with the flow? Or why not go with the flow? Sometimes you have to do what others won't do, so later you can do what others can't do. And that's the road let's travel by. It's not always going to be easy. All too often I think a lot of people and I'm looking more from an athletic standpoint, take the easy road. Right now with the transfer portal, as soon as I don't get my way, I'm jumping in the transfer portal. That's not always the right thing to do. It's not always the right thing to do. Sometimes I got to go on a fight through and find a way to compete and get on the field versus saying, okay, I'm not getting a fair shake, so I'm going to go somewhere else. Well, guess what? Now when I go somewhere else, I got to start over. Now they got to get to know me. Yeah, they saw my film, but they don't know me. So now they got to get to know you, and now you still got to compete to get on the field. And too often I hear kids that were good players, they thought the grass was green on the other side, and now they're paying for their education when they had opportunity to get their education, their education paid for. So sometimes you got to stand and fight. It's not always going to be easy. And because, you know, one of the things, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. So don't be so quick to jump in the transfer portal just because you're not getting your way. But here's the thing. 
Being a student athlete is not easy. I promise you that. You got school. You got the 6 o'clock morning workouts for some. Whenever it is, you got those workouts. You got to manage your time. But this is something that I promise you. There are 100 people wishing they would be in your shoes. When you're sitting there and you finish that last sprint and you're dead tired and you're wondering why you should do that, realize there's at least 100 people. Regardless of where you are or what level you're on, there's at least 100 people that wish they were in your shoes and they got an opportunity to do what you're doing. So embrace the hardship and realize that one day that hardship that you go through will separate you from the pack. And if you're just trying to be in the middle of the pack, then you be in the middle. Then go ahead. Take the easy way out. But if you want to rise to the top of the pack, then i got to endure some hardship and know that that hardship is going to help shape me to be the person that I need to be so I can excel. i got a good friend of mine, as I talked about the road less travel. Uh, we had the opportunity uh, to, to meet back in, I guess it was August 1989, when I reported to the Citadel, my man, Jason Lodum. Jason, what's going on? It's all good, Everett. Appreciate being on the show. Do anything to help my uh, teammate, friend out, classmate. Definitely took that road less traveled. And here, here you and I are 30 years exactly. later. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it's um, – I'll never forget one day – when I was back coaching at the Citadel, it was Aaron Self and I. And I asked Aaron, would he do it again? And he said, nope, but I'm glad that I did it. And that's so true. Because it's one of those things that you, you're not going to volunteer for that hardship, but now that you've gone through it, you appreciate it. And, and, and I see a difference in, in the way that myself and, and other serial guys go through hard times now and, and the way some other people go through hard times. You know, so it's uh, definitely something that helped shape me to be the person that I am today. Absolutely. Uh, you know, one, one thing I would tell you is, uh, and I'm sure you do this out in the, in the workplace, is I try to seek out <clears throat> Citadel guys, help them wherever I can. But I know this, uh, if I have a Citadel guy and I, I, I have somebody else to say, when, you know, I live up in Pittsburgh, so I say I went to Pitt or, Indiana University of Pennsylvania, some place like that. I'll take a civil guy every day. He may not be as qualified. He may not be as book smart, but I'll tell you what, he understands that he's got to get it done because there's that long legacy out there that you don't want to let that guy down, right? And we learned that right off the bat. You know, I won't say day one, but pretty damn close to hour one at school, right? Don't be last. Don't don't do this. Don't do that. But don't let your classmates down. Exactly. Exactly. That's so true. That is so true. So, but hey, but Jake, as as we're talking, tell us a little bit about your background. What have you been doing since since you left LC? Well, um, E uh, left school. Uh, got a headhunter. Uh, worked in management consulting in a boutique consulting firm did operations management for 14 years i was a partner in that firm um i was primarily tasked with dealing with private equity at that time and uh, building products so if you go into home depot or lowe's uh, i've probably been in 
almost every plant, every company that supplies those guys. And then uh, one of my clients at one of the big conglomerate, Masco, uh, got me to start my own business. And uh, I did that for another six years. And then uh, all this time I was traveling basically Monday through Thursday night, getting on flights all the time, going all over the country, going all over the world and Grenoble, France, and to the Dominican Republic, and Argentina, Mexico, Texas. <laughs> and uh, my wife said, uh, hey, uh, this is all great, but, you know, you got you to gotta be home. So uh cooled my heels a little bit, took a job as a uh, chief operating officer uh, at a security integration firm, one of the largest security integrations firms in the country. And then um, – Another friend of mine called me up and said, hey, uh, you know, we have this investment bank in Pittsburgh. Uh, Would you like to do that? Dovetails in with some of your work with private equity. And, you know, I've been doing that recently. So buying and selling companies uh, right now. Interesting work. Interesting work, especially in the uh, pandemic. Yeah. So I would imagine – that here in the pandemic, there's a lot of companies that need to be, quote-unquote, bought because they're having some rough times. So are you seeing Absolutely. the buying? Well, what we see is that instead of uh, family-run companies, um, we, we, we've had, had uh, people do studies for us where uh, in the next five to seven years, uh, 70% of those family-run companies uh, are, are going to change hands. And so you have the family offices, which are a big deal now, and then you also have uh, private equity that's looking at it um, as well. But you see a lot of, uh, of these family-run companies, they're kind of at the end of the rope, The uh, especially getting in the second or third generation, the, the, the mm-hmm. those kids don't, they don't want to do that anymore, um, whether it be a machine shop or weld shop or anything like that. They don't want to do it, so they get out. But, I mean, it, it may be a pretty nice margin business, throws off a nice little bit of cash. Somebody, it's interest to somebody who wants to make money, but they don't want to do it anymore. So we, we do a lot of business in that route. So it's more – uh, the kids just don't want to follow in their parents' footsteps in the hardships of COVID. All yeah, they, 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 you know, um, yeah, some of these, yeah, so, some of the gentlemen or ladies, they uh, worked hard all their lives to provide for their children or, or, or what have you. And, um, you know, the kids kind of just reap the benefit and uh, live off that uh, annuity almost. And then, um right. They don't seem to want to do it, and we've done studies where, you know, we've looked at it, and it's about 70% of those type of generational businesses are going to change hands here in the next five to seven years, which also makes sense when you think about it from the baby boomers and how much time they have left in the workforce, right? So so you have that, which makes it uh, – compounds that. Um, so. 
you know, the other thing is that, uh, you know, what I do, my specialty is to turn around broken businesses. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that makes it a lot more interesting because uh, some of these owners, their their glide path isn't for 20 years, their glide paths for like three years. So it makes it a little bit more uh, difficult to get the business head in the right direction if they have issues. Right, exactly, exactly. So, so as you look into turn around a broken business, what's one of the first things that you try to look at or try to accomplish? I, I, I look at the cohesiveness of the team, of the unit. I, I try to look to see who the, who's, playing, who, who's pulling on the rope in the same direction, right? Um, I try to instill in that leader that that he he has to be a servant leader, right? That the that the customer is king, and, and you as as the owner of the company is just is a prince to that. But the frontline workers, um, we you need to provide them with all the tools that they can to to be successful. Because they're the guys, they're the actual doers. They're touching the product, they're dealing with the customer, and, and it's it's the the leadership's job to serve them, and you'll take care of yourself that way. When you get that kind of methodology going, the other things are are, are pretty simple. But um, you know, obviously, when you think about that, you think about what is my true cost to to perform my my work. And, uh, you know, just look for some of the access out there. And there's plenty of tools out there, you know, that that, that help you uh, get better, right? Hey, well, we're definitely going to sit down and talk about that because I'm in the process of starting a new business. So I want to get your take on, on you know, some things. But we'll we, we'll talk about that at another time. Uh, okay. Now, first of all, you pitch there, which, is, which, of course, is the home of my fears. Absolutely, what's brother. What's the, what's the talk up there in Pittsburgh? I mean, first of all, you know, we started off great. The best start in Steelers history. And then it just sort yes, of. Yes, sir. Well, I think I mean, what happened, it, well, I mean, our quarterback's 39 years old. And um, right. if I could be blunt, it, it, it seems like he wanted to do too much. I don't think Ben throwing the ball 60 times a game is a good idea. Um, and, and I think, and I, again, I think the wide receivers, uh, Schuster, Johnson, uh, Washington, mm-hmm. uh, and my man out of uh, the University of Notre Dame, uh, I think those guys are players. But I, I just don't think – when you become one track in the NFL, it's just tough. Yeah. It's tough, and and the team's caught on to it, and and that 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 step and throw under three seconds, you know, they just start sitting on those routes, and you know, Deontay Johnson, uh, I think he's a dynamic wide receiver. Uh, there, there are many plays I watched. I'm sure he did too. He were he he's got he's taking two steps down the field and waiting for that outlet pass. Well, I'd right. like to get him 15 yards downfield. <laughs> But we'll see what happens. I mean, Ben, $41 million cap hit. He wants to renegotiate his contract. 
you got a South Carolina boy, Mason Rudolph, who's the backup, Oklahoma State. You know, I, I, I know this is blaspheme in the uh, Steeler, uh, being a Steeler fan, life season ticket order, Steeler fan. Uh, but I think it's time to move on from Ben. Let, let the chips fall where they may. Uh, here's, here's you know what's interesting, too? You know what's interesting? Uh, you and I played against Mike Tomlin. Yeah, William and Mary. William and Mary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. So it's it's uh it is interesting now because here's one thing with the Steelers. They have a history of saying, Hey, we're not gonna pay you and you can go somewhere else if you want to. We've had a lot of great players that have left. Um you know, towards Rod the end of their career. Rod Woodson, you got uh Kevin Green, um Chad Brown. Uh, Griff, Chad Brown. I mean the list goes on and on and on. So if it comes down to paying the rulers are kinda of like, yeah, that's all right, we'll go ahead and and they've been fairly successful doing that. Now, of course as a fan I don't like seeing some of my favorite players leave. But They've been pretty successful. You can't can't get too upset with them. Hey, can't get too upset. Uh, you, you, you know, since you and I have been on this earth, I want to say they are the winning franchise out there. They got what twenty four, twenty five division titles. So been around fifty yeah. years. So every other year, Steelers win a division title. That, that ain't, that's not that. They've been they've been pretty successful. You can't argue with yeah. that. Yep, they have. Yeah, and the great, and they only had three coaches. That's the part <laughs> three, right there. Three coaches. Three coaches. That's right. And, Every one and of them won Super Bowl. Yep. Every one of them. And been in more than one. Absolutely. So it's, uh, it's, it's, I think that that's a key. I don't think anybody else. Has anybody else in the league had three coaches the last 50 years? No. No. They always talk about that. Um, right. Heck, uh, you, you think about Cleveland. You know, 140 miles to the north of here. You know, they they would they go four years, uh, uh, four coaches. I think I think they're paying they're paying two, not the coach right now. <laughs> yes, they are. That's yes, they are. Hey, they're they're paying. Two thirds of what we've had in, in fifty years, not the coach. Which That's right. Hey, how about this? Well, Mike hey. Tomlin ne- never had a losing record. Right. That's true. That is true. Now, how about this? Now, I'm going back to what you said. If it, it, I don't know if Mason Rudolph is the answer, so are you saying we need to go to the draft and, and get one of these young bucks? Um, to to take us to the I next t- the going. Well, I tell you, it, 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 yeah, it, 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 if at twenty four some somebody falls down, and yeah. look, I, I'm a big SEC fan, but I'll pass on Kyle Trask. But 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 say that that kid from Ohio State falls to twenty four. Well, I think you got to take him. Well, then the thing is, it's not necessarily fall, or do they trade up? 
Well, you know, we we traded up for uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, um, so essentially we got a you know a first round draft choice out of that. That's how I look at it. Um, mm-hmm. I never thought the Steelers would do it, but they did it. And uh, maybe Kevin Colbert, the GM, is, is okay with that. He talked the Rooney's into it. Um, that would be good. I mean, if they could get up there and get one, that's fine. If not, if I'm the Steelers. I'm drafting a center, and I'm drafting – well, I doubt we'll draft a center in the first round. Uh, but, you know, you got to get a tackle replacement for Villanueva. I mean, you, you saw – and I like Al Villanueva, you know, military academy guy, um, you know, ranger in uh, uh, in Afghanistan. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he got uh, – he got walked a few games this year, and uh, whether that's uh, Ben back there or Mason or to be determined, uh, you know, left tackle. You know, that's an important, important position in the NFL in, in any in any league. To be honest with you, now, um, but unless you got a left handed, then it's the right tackle. Yeah, but then it's yeah. the right tackle, right? That blind side is very important. He's, he's got to have confidence that that. Uh, He's got that. If not, they get quick feet, and when they get happy feet back there, it's usually not a good thing. No. And it's usually no. Another quarterback. What do you think about this? Russell Wilson. They talk about Russell getting traded from from Seattle. If the Steelers were able I, to get Russell, would you take him? Russell Wilson? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> if if the Steelers would get Russell Wilson. Then you then you got to put them in in the top four of the NFL with that defense, right? So they lose Bud Dupree to free agency. Okay, so Bud he's coming off reconstructive knee surgery, which was a shame, right? But uh, so you lose Bud because because they're up against it on the cap. Would you get Russell Wilson? Yeah, I take that all day long. That is definitely a difference maker there now. And yeah, I mean, and he, <clears throat> he's definitely one of the top. I'm going to probably top three or four quarterbacks in the league right now. Oh, absolutely. I, I, you know, I don't understand what's going on with him. And I, I thought it was a marriage made in heaven, heaven him and Pete Carroll. I, I don't know what happened, you know. And then it comes out, I guess, in the athletic or one of those sports publications where you know, they didn't talk for seven, eight weeks. I mean, your head coach and the quarterback don't talk. Yeah, that's that's, that's anyway. not a good thing. Not a good thing. No, I mean, he, he's definitely gone. Then he sent that sent a note like, I don't want to be traded, but if I'm going to be traded, here's my five teams I want to go to. That's, that's a... You can't even see. Who was his five teams? I think it was uh, Cowboys, uh, I think Cowboys, Carolina is that one of them? Uh, Minnesota, yeah, that, yeah, the, those teams. The, the, those are, I, I think, those are the three. I could be wrong, but I, I know the Cowboys was one of them. Which, which well, I, I oh. guess he's an upgrade over Dak, but I don't know. Hey, as, as, a buddy of mine once said, "Now, I'm 
My two favorite teams are the Pittsburgh Steelers and whoever's playing Dallas. Uh, I'm with you, man. Uh, you and I are children of the 70s. Uh, Cliff Waters, all those guys. Tony Dorsett is my all-time favorite football player, right? I love Tony Dorsett, and I still call him Dorsett. But, and he's from know, Pitt. He's from the Pittsburgh. He's from, Pitt. he's from Aliquippa, Pennsylvania, right? Uh, went to Pitt, but he was, you know, you go to your, your, and I'm sure you're like that too, Everett. You go to your first football game, and again, I was like six, but I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> That's Tony Dorsett. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's always been my player. A cowboy, I was unfortunate, but I let him go because he's Tony Dorsett. Exactly, exactly. Well, hey, well, we're going to go to a quick break. Um, and when we come back, we'll have our first guest. Everybody just hold on a second. He saw the best in me When everyone else around Could only see the worst in me I wish I had a witness tonight That he saw the best in me I guess I'm the only one that got this testimony. When everyone else around me can only see the worst in me. Can I tell y'all one more time, one more time? I said he saw the best in me. When everyone else around could only see the worst. All I need is one. Hey, he's all the best in me. When everyone else around me, yeah. everyone else oh, oh, oh. around me, can only see the worst in me. Does anybody have that testimony? When Trump walked you off, said you would never make it, what did he see? He's all the best in me. When everyone else around me, yeah.
Hey, how's everybody doing? This is Everett Sands of the West Foundation Sports Talk Show. We're back, and uh, I have a, a, a young man here that I'm sure a lot of players have said that he saw the best in them, and he helped to get the best out of them. Um, please help me welcome Mr. Elijah Cadillac Harris. Coach, how's everything going? Coach, you there? Everything's going well, going well. How are you tonight? I'm doing great, man, doing great. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for joining us. And and first and foremost, let me say congratulations on, on your retirement. And uh, you've, you've had, definitely had a great career. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I've been truly been – it's a blessing uh, for a lot of uh, people who've been in – the right places to uh, assist me in uh, doing what I love most, and that's helping young people and uh, helping parents and, and and teachers and administrators to, you know, be help others be successful. So it's a, it's been a great journey. Good. Well, tell us a little bit about your career. I know you was at, you was at one spot for a long time, but tell us uh, about your career and where all you've been. Well, you know, I uh, – I'm from uh, uh, Virginia Beach, born and raised in Virginia Beach. Went to Kinsville High School. Uh, actually, uh, my family was one of the first families to start the integration process. So I uh, went through elementary school uh, there in, in, in Virginia Beach and um, uh, uh, Courthouse Elementary, Seaboard Elementary, to uh, uh, what was called a junior high. Uh, ended up playing football for Kinsville Junior High and uh, uh, first year the school opened, we won a championship, and so uh, I went on to Kensville High School. Uh, from there, to uh, got a full scholarship to Norfolk State and uh, played at Norfolk State, and we won three uh, championships in a row, the most uh, in the history of the school. And uh, uh, after Norfolk State, I had a, a free agent trial with the, the Dallas Cowboys, uh, one of my favorite teams, and. Uh, uh, that didn't work out uh, like I had hoped it would, and uh, I quickly learned from my parents uh, and uh, others that uh, the greatest thing one can get is an education. Uh, I uh, got my college degree and uh, fell in love with health and physical education, started teaching and coaching, and uh, came back and started coaching one year at my high school. Then the next year, uh, Green Run High School opened up, uh, interview with the coach uh, Johnny Cook became the defensive coordinator, and uh, we had some of the best defensive teams for the, you know about 15 years in a row. And, uh, and then uh, at, at that point, uh, you know, after about seven years of uh, trying to be a head football coach, I became uh, the first African American football coach in the city of Virginia Beach, and um, and. Uh, uh, I was fortunate to uh, coach uh, four players in that era that went to uh, the NFL. Uh, uh, two went to two Super Bowls, and one went to one, and one uh, Plexico ended up catching a winning touchdown pass in the in the game. So uh, the, against the undefeated Patriots, which is a huge feat. Uh, so uh, then I had Andre Casey, who was a world record track runner, and just uh, I've just been blessed to have great athletes, and then. 
not only that, but uh, great students, man. Adolph Brown, who's a tremendous uh, doctor, and uh, just so many great people that uh, uh, the 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 sport of athletics of, of the sport and their uh, participation in athletics have really led to some great foundations. And I've always uh, pride my teams uh, to be to be. Uh, focus on uh, winning scholarships and championships. So uh, uh, after I left Green Run, I went to Elizabeth City State as a head football coach for a couple of years and came back to Maury High School as a head football coach and then Indian River High School as a head football coach. And uh, so um, uh, a lot of years uh, from from 1978 until uh, this present point. So I just retired and in February the 1st of this year. So uh, seen a lot, uh, been a lot of places, and uh, I just thank God for his provision through all of them. Now, hey, if if I told my wife um, that I, only, I was only going to coach in four or, yeah, five different places in a 42-year period, uh, she would love me. <laughs> but of course, I, I was—I've been a whole lot more than five places. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. That would—that would have been great. I tell you something. You know, it. I, like I said, I was tremendously blessed to be able to do that. Uh, you know, coaching at two, yeah. actually Norfolk State too. So, uh, uh, so uh, I've just been very blessed, man. Just to, to be able to to be a a, a bridge for uh, other. Student athletes and and uh, and uh, and then be, be supported by uh, a few good men and women. You can't do it alone. That support is is extremely important. Extremely. Important. Yeah. Now let me ask you this: You've had a lot of accomplishments, um, but which one stands out the most to you? Wow, that's oh boy, that's hard to say. Uh, I, you know, um, a couple of them just really ring the bell. I think, you know, some decisions that uh, that I made uh, uh, and some gifts that, that God has given me. One is to recognize talent, you know, to recognize talent and ability and to uh, be able to put it in a place where it can uh, excel. Uh, and uh one of the big ones would be uh, a kid by the name of Al Chambly, who uh, that was a you know uh, in the early '80s. Uh, uh, nobody wanted to, uh, you know, he, he when he graduated, and you know, I thought he was a, a Division One football player. I knew he was, and but yet uh, uh, many of the other schools, uh, including uh, Division Two schools, uh, did not think he was good enough to play at their university or their college. And uh, 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 Al Shep, uh Al ended up going to uh, Virginia Tech. And um, uh, and I showed his, who was on reel-to-reel then, I showed his reel-to-reel tape, and I told the uh, Phil Amatio, who was at Tech at the time, uh, how, good, how good I thought he was. And he was the only one that agreed with me and, and took him to uh, as a player to Virginia Tech. He went on to 
he still has the strongest bench press, I believe, on the board even as today. And uh, he ended up playing uh, four years for uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, just a tremendous uh, student athlete. And after that, in all those universities that I shot them around to, from that point on, when I ever I said I have a player that can play, then, you know, hundreds of players and scouts would line up outside the doors. And, and to your other question of uh, uh, some of the high, best moments I've ever been a part of uh, – uh, is going to those Super Bowls, uh, uh, the one in Pasadena, having two football players, uh, Matt Darby and Keith Gaines, playing for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, uh, they were highlights uh, in my life uh, to be in the Super Bowls and have your own know, players playing. And then the ultimate one was Plexico, uh that played for the uh, for the Giants, uh, drafted by the drafted by the Steelers, and uh, and being at Murray High School and hell. Uh, Bill Coward call you because of my relationship with Darren Perry, who was one of his coaches, and him telling me that if Plexico was still there in the seventh round of that draft, he was going to take him after our conversation. So, uh, I mean, the things like that, and then being in the Super Bowl and and uh, being in the stands and watching that safety roll over and giving him one-on-one coverage and standing up. Uh, screaming touchdown around his family and friends before the play start because, uh, you know, I knew that fade route was coming. That was one of the ones we ran in high school and uh, celebrating that with my wife and daughter uh, that he uh, uh, brought us to that Super Bowl to enjoy. So that was one of the, some of the crowning moments uh, as a coach. Uh, I'll never forget him. Uh, Other than that, I mean, there's so many, you know, uh, uh, Brandon Orr, when he was in high school and in college, and uh, uh, was we had some highlight moments. And um, uh, Adolph Brown and Andre Kaysen were some big moments. Just uh, to have him pole vault uh, over 16 feet in high school, you know, uh, you know those are big moments. And Andre Kaysen setting uh, uh, the world record in the 60 meter dash, and then. Uh, Setting the world record in the four by one relay, uh, uh, four by uh, one relay, uh, the world record until Usain Bolt, them guys came and broke it. So, uh, those are some some great great moments that uh, I was privileged to to be a part of. So, uh, in my coaching career, and have your children, my sons, I call them, out there uh, performing on those stages. Virginia Peach has had a long line of great athletes come through there. The uh, Is it still a, a long line? Because, I, I, you know, I used to recruit the area. That's how I got to know you. Uh, I haven't right. been there in a while. Is, is Virginia's beat still as talent-packed as it was years ago? Yeah. Uh, as, as they say, it's something in the water here, right? So um, Virginia Beach and the Tidewater area is still loaded with talent. Uh some of the best players in the country uh, are right here. Uh, and uh, I just remember Frank Beamer said that, you know, uh, he's never going to stop recruiting this area because whoever wins the battle of the, the players in this area will be right at the top. And uh, and I remember even Joe Paterno's uh, conversations I had with him when he, uh, when he was recruiting this area uh, with Keith Goganis and Darren Perry. And he just said, you know, Cadillac, I've never got a lemon out of this 
area. Every kid I've ever gotten, boy, you put them on the ground and they, 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 you know, they play to the, you know, uh, they play out of their shoes. So, um, uh, yeah, it's still a hotbed in every way. You know, you've had the Percy Harvins, uh, you know, you just looked last week, you had Grant Holloway just break a set a world record in the hurdles out of grass. I mean, you just, I mean, it's, it is. It's, it's loaded, and that's why everyone in the country uh, who has a top uh, program will come and recruit out of this area. It's still very high. A lot of good talent. I mean, it was the uh, – and I cannot remember the kid's name. It was Percy Harvin, and then the kid that ended up going to Tennessee. He was a quarterback as well. Um, yeah. Same um, year as Percy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he ended up playing it too. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then there was a, a wide receiver who was kind of like Plexico uh, that went. Uh, there's so many of them uh, uh, when you think about it. Uh, yeah, I remember a telling me that he said, Coach, every week that I go to play, there's somebody, two or three people from the 757 that, that I'm playing against, you know. Uh, he said, they just, it's just that. Uh, you know, from Michael Vick to I mean, all of those guys, just 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 a tremendous yep. level. But Ronald Carey, just some just tremendous athletes that are. Allen Iverson. Allen Iverson, yeah. You know, you look at the Super Bowl, uh, the no, the no start, uh, Naughty, uh, from Ocean Lake. I mean, just it's just. Now, now let me ask you this, coach. Let me ask you this. There's some that say. That Allen Iverson might have been the best quarterback that ever came out of the seven five seven. Would you agree with that? It's a hard argument. Um, uh, I would have to say Allen Iverson and a guy by the name of Ronald Carey. Um, uh, but Allen Iverson was spectacular, you know, uh, in every way. I mean, you know, he was a tremendous free safety as well as a quarterback. And uh, you just couldn't you couldn't touch him, you know. He was one of those guys that you you, you could barely get your hands on him. So uh, right. with these the kind of offenses that was running right now, the coaches are running now, with his kind of quickness and elusiveness, uh, and uh, a tremendous heart. Um, yeah, I would put him in. I would definitely put him in the right air at the top. You know, he and. Uh, and uh, Michael Vick and Ron Carey, uh, E.J. Manuel, uh, you know, uh, those were some pretty spectacular quarterbacks. But uh, yeah, I would put him. I would put him at the top. I would have to put him at the top. I had a friend uh, uh, who was coaching at uh, Philadelphia, and he said that uh, when Allen was playing for uh, uh, Philly and uh, he would, Iverson would come out and and uh, come to the, the the football camp every year. And he said, Coach, man, nobody can check him. So nobody, I mean, I said, well, just think about this. You see what he does to people on the hardwood 94 feet floor. You put him on a football field. What is, <laughs> you got more Think about you, you see what he does to professionals on 94 feet, right? You see what he does to them. You know, Michael Jordan included. What do you think he's going to do to people on the football field with that kind of spacing, man? 
Untouch. I mean, and he'll tell me that every every year he comes out, man. We we can't touch. He's he just you know the most dominant thing on the field, and he would have done the same thing. He would have gone to either one of those sports. He he could have done both of them and done them both very well. I mean, you know, Deion Sanders was was is great, but Michael could have had his own. I mean, uh, but uh, uh, Alan Iverson could have done that had he chose to. That would that would be something special. Now that would be something special. Now, I'm going to take you to the other side now. We're talking about your greatest accomplishments. And as a coach, I, I know I have mine, so I'm sure you have yours. What's that one game or one or two games that just sticks out of your mind that if you could do it all over again, you would because you just sit and you just think about it and you can see it play by play as it's happening? Um that that you wanna that you if you could change your words, which what game is that? Wow, um, wow, that's that's uh, that's more than one, but uh, uh, the one I mean, you, the, the, it's those uh, loosest ones that really change the trajectory of you know being right there of winning the state championship and and uh, uh, you know. Uh, and someone fumbles the ball, or uh, you you move someone out of position, and they fumble the ball, or uh, something. Uh, uh, you know, the weather conditions are such that you're not in the best. You know, uh, that your players don't adapt to it. Uh, but it's um, uh, certainly uh, for me. I think it would be when we lost to Hopewell, uh, and uh, they went on to win the in the semifinals and uh uh they went on to win the championship and uh um and you know uh every, I was uh, one of the first ones to actually the first one to start a uh, uh overnight camp so we were able to keep our kids overnight for five nights and my principal allowed me to do that it it changed the uh culture of the school and uh right. And what happened was, I mean, we just uh, – it was the fastest turnaround in history from 0-10 to now we're playing for uh, a state championship one game away. And uh, I remember a group of players coming to me and, uh, you know, and that coach is, you know, we always played our games on Friday night. Well, this was going to be the first time now you're in the, in the playoffs and you're in the final rounds, you're going to play on Saturday. And the kids was asking me to do, have a lock-in, you know, uh, coach, uh, just, just – Keepers here on Friday night. Don't you know? I'm like, you guys can do this. You, we've been doing this all year long. You can control yourself for you know uh, one night. Man, uh, I wish I had to listen to a couple of the players and and done that lock in because one of one of one of my linebackers was uh, came in like four o'clock in the morning. Had been drinking all night, doing just what they would normally do on a Friday after a Friday night game, and not having that Friday. You know, uh, and, you know, we had uh, beaten Hopewell and Phoebus. We had won the state championship three times in a row and, you know, passing legs up at UVA, and we were just poised to, you know, we, you know. But uh, too many of the players, uh, I, I should have listened. I, sh- I, I wish I would have uh, bought them in and kept them overnight at, at the school, and I'm sure my principal allowed me to do it. And then, um you know, that's one of the ones that uh, 
Uh, we woke up at halftime, but, you know, it was too late. I understand. I understand. That that, that yeah, happened. That, and sometimes you may, yeah. you're able to get away with it. Sometimes you're not. But, that's mm, right. That's a tough That's right. That's, that's right. Let me ask you a, a question that, of course, you've been doing this a long time, and um, you've got 40-plus years in. A lot of people say, that kids have changed. From your perspective, how much have kids really changed or is it just everything around them has changed? Well, uh, I don't think the kids have changed. Uh, I I don't think the kids have changed. What I think is uh, uh, their condition has greatly changed and has a a major impact on on, the who they are and what they believe in. For one, uh, you know, uh, over uh, almost over 20,000, 20, excuse me, yeah, over uh, uh, 2 million, almost, it's almost uh, 20 million kids growing up without fathers in their home in the United States. And so when you see that happen, that you, that, that, when that kind of culture change uh you're gonna get a different kind of kid when when they're not being raised by their fathers and some don't know who their fathers are or is uh that's a uh that's that's one of the the the, the things that coaches need to be well aware of uh you know that means that you can fill up all the stadiums in the in the in in the country and you still have uh, uh kids left over without growing up in the in america without their their dad, so I think that's a you know not having that kind of influence that that certainly uh, uh, changes uh, uh, how a kid grow and develop, and not even talk about the pandemic and what that does. That's just a whole you know that just adds to it with the a lack of uh, of face to face in person uh, and and having to adjust to virtual learning and all of that. So. Uh, it certainly makes a difference, and then you must not uh, take away what the media has done to our kids and all the avenues that they reach them. You know, uh, the the kids are now growing up by their telephones and wh- whatever devices that they have, and so they have access to everything, and everything has access to them, which is not good. So... Uh, Unless you're teaching them uh, the importance of character and character education and getting an education and uh, teaching them what the uh, downfalls of a man and uh, or a woman is, and that's uh, uh, those vices that are undefeated, such as drugs, alcohol, and sex, and not having addictions to those things then uh, the success rate uh, can uh, be significant. And then including that, you know, you you have now media outlets who to lie and to cheat and to steal is big business. So it's hard for a kid to get the right information because depending on what network they listen to, uh, uh, the truth is a lie and, you know, the lie is not the truth. So, 
uh, all those things have greatly impacted young people. Uh, but at the same time, uh, they still have some uh, relevance to what is right and wrong. But right now, uh, it's hard to determine what right and wrong is, uh, depending on what outlet is it that you are plugged into or uh, what you're listening to or what are you reading or what you're connected to. My last thing before we before we have to get out of here, and this time is going by really fast. Um, if you were giving uh, a group of young people a piece of advice that would help them be successful, um, what would that be? Well, um, two things I would tell them, uh, uh, young people, that first of all, every last one of uh, all of you uh, have gifts and talents. And depending on how you feed those gifts and talents and what kind of information and uh, where you uh, put your stock and what you what you feed yourself will determine uh, what, what the outcomes are going to be. You know, you have you're going to have make choices, little choices that are going to have big impact. So uh, uh, you want to make sure that you choose wisely, because if you don't, uh, then uh, you can find yourself in uh, a bad situation. And also uh, be aware of uh, your surroundings. Watch who you're hanging out with. Watch what you're saying. Uh, watch what you're doing. Uh, because And watch what you're thinking. Because... Uh, you know, as a man thinketh, so is he. So if you're thinking bad thoughts or you're hanging out with bad people, uh, uh, it's inevitable that bad things are going to happen. Uh, you can't get away from it. So uh, be cautious in those two areas, uh, your choices and uh, the choices that make sure you're making solid choices and have a plan. If you don't have a plan, then a plan will be uh, created for you. And it'll generally be one in which you, uh, you won't have a choice in, and you won't like the choice or the outcome of it. Great words, great words. So I appreciate it, and uh, good luck to you as as uh, you prepare to drive off in the sunset for retirement. I'm sure you're going to be around Ballfield somehow, some way, because um, I'm sure it's it's. I, I know for me it's hard to get out your system, so I know you'll be around it. But congratulations on your retirement. And, uh, again, thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, thank you, E, and uh, I wish you uh, uh, much love and blessings on the foundation and what you're trying to do for young people. It's going to have to take uh, people like yourself, each and every one of us, to reach one, teach one, and uh, that way we can make this world a better place. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Well, hey, we're going to go to a quick break, and we'll be back in a few. Hey, yeah. You ready? Let's do it. I'm the definition of half man. Bad boy, that's what's up 
nothing much, nothing but big things. Check the hit list, how we twist, what changed with the name. We still here, you're rocking with the best. Don't worry if I write rhymes, I write checks. Who's the boss? Dudes is lost. Don't think cause I'm iced out, I'ma cool off. Who else but me? And if you don't feel me, that means you can't touch me. It's ugly, trust me. Get it right, dog. We ain't never left. We just move in silence and rep to the death. It's official. I survived what I've been through. Y'all got drama. The saga continues. We ain't going nowhere. We ain't going nowhere. We can't be stopped now. I push it down with the Harlem heat All of a sudden, got a problem with me Black, what happened? They running around acting like the black don't care eat And you know what? what? For some strange reason, I'm off of this medication Feeling deranged needing For y'all to put the word out We ain't leaving We trying to be rich before we all stop breathing Therefore, we kind of hustle lame Stay laying down our muscle game Still turn to dreams to flames you got the wire, if not, I ain't saying no name, you soon expire, no pain, I feel remorse, but some closest, me and Diddy are first race of horses, with the big twin valve exhausted, on the cover of your vibe, double X sounds and sauces, yeah. yeah. go nowhere, we ain't going nowhere, we can't Be everything still glorious. We still got warriors, still be the victorious. See, it's a lot of them, but it's more of us. Still got cash to blow, raps to flow. Still them cats to know, pack to flow. That's for sure. The pop, the rock, play the background, handle my shot, holding my money to get, cost to flip. Love it, place nothing above it. It's on like that. Don't believe we ain't going like that. We're always going to be here. We there. Go when Cadillac Harris, who's a, a great coach of his own right down there in the Virginia Beach area. And now I have a guy that played at the Citadel, uh, Mr. Mozzie Drummond. Mozzie, how's everything going? It's going well, going well. Thank you for having me. Hey, man, thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us. Now, if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about your journey, uh, your coaching journey, uh, what you've done since you graduated, and how you became the head basketball coach at San Jose Prep. Well, uh, I started my coaching career very early. I uh, actually finished college at Newberry College, and uh, as I finished college there, I uh, went into coaching immediately after. Uh, And I was able to coach in college for my first year out of school. And uh, as a young kid, I was still kind of in that athlete mode and not knowing what to do, but I was able to uh, 
get around some real good coaches and uh, helped shape me into uh, the young man that I wanted to be and uh, showed me what the benefits of coaching was. Uh, so in 2006, I started coaching at Newberry College as a graduate assistant. Uh, I was able to work uh, under some really, really good men who not only made an impact on my life as a coach when I was playing, but since I've become a coach myself, has really impacted my life in a in a in a very very strong way. Uh, actually, our my coach that I coached with at Newberry College uh, 15 years ago is now my boss here as an adult. So uh, I was able to make a good impression to where he could find me in my later years of coaching and want to hire me. So I started in 2006 Newberry College. Uh, after I left there as a graduate assistant, I went to back to my hometown of Greenville County and coached at Greenville High School under Jim Sosby, who's now the head coach at uh, Hendersonville in North Carolina. Uh, I left there and, and went and worked under uh, Coach Greg Porter, one of the state championship winning coaches in Greenville County, who's now the head coach of Greenville High School, but at that time it was at Southside High School. And uh, my second year out of out of college, I was able to serve as quarterbacks and offense coordinator uh, for Southside High School. Uh, I then moved to my home school, Greer High School, where I graduated, where I grew up at, um, and that's where I finished out my career until I got here until San Jose Prep in Florida. So you go from the quarterback coach and the OC. Well, head mm-hmm. basketball coach. Right. Well, I, I was a football player growing up. Um, that's what I went to college to do. Uh, that was my identity. Um, so uh, for many years I, I thought I was a football coach. And how I became a basketball coach is when I moved back to Greer, my former basketball coach asked would I help out with JV Girls Basketball, 2009. And uh, I just fell in love with the game. And I've always been a basketball player along with football. But I fell in love with the game of girls' basketball and how well they work, how well they listen, their determination, and uh, how hard they competed. Uh, So I started in 2009 as the JV head basketball coach. And I worked my way up to uh, eventually taking over as the head girls' basketball coach at Greer High School in 2014. Uh, while there, we won 110 games in six years, uh, three champion, uh, region championships, made the playoffs every year, and uh, it was real successful. And uh, It kind of started as my second job, but the more I grew into uh, the game, the girls' basketball game, and being able to be a head coach in basketball versus quarterback O.C., in football and be able to do it my way and impact kids as a head coach, it was just totally different. It's something that I, I definitely enjoyed and fell in love with. Last season, as a high uh, head girls basketball coach, I had a really good season, really young team. And uh, after one of my games that I had won, we won a big game against Blue Ridge High School. I received a call from my former college football coach, Alan Hall, uh, just out of the blue. And uh, I thought he was calling to congratulate me on my win. Uh, throughout conversation, uh, at the end of it, he asked me would I be interested in moving to Jacksonville, Florida and starting athletics at the school he was the CEO of now. came on a visit, 
and uh, fell in love with the area. I hear his mission. And uh, my my goal is to impact as many people, as many young people as possible. Um, and I saw the opportunity to bring sports to a school that did not have sports and uh, be able to serve the student body in that area. And uh, we started sports this year. We've had a fall, winter, and spring season of sports. This year I did serve as boys and girls head basketball coach, as and also I'm the athletic director. So I got my hands full, but it's worth it, man, just seeing what sports can do for young people and what that brings to the building, is it just makes my heart happy. And, and watching kids succeed on and off the court and learning to compete and also learning how to take what you learn in athletics to other areas of your life. So that's what we got here going on in Jacksonville at the moment. And uh, it's a work in progress, but we're growing every single day. So they had no athletics whatsoever? Nope. First year athletics was this year. The school has been open since 2013. It's a grade A plus charter school in which uh, academics is the best in our area. Uh, Most of our seniors actually take dual credit classes on college campuses, uh, but it never had athletics. So being able to bring athletics to the building this year has really changed the the demographic and the landscape of the school. Sports has a way of helping a young man or young woman in areas that just going to school and just getting the academic side of it cannot. It helps you mentally, socially, spiritually. It teaches you uh, how to respond during adversity. Uh, So many life lessons you learn through sports, and uh, I'm just happy to bring that to the students at San Jose Prep. Did they start football there too or just uh, that's in the We have not started football. Uh, this year in the fall, we had volleyball, girls volleyball, cross country. Winter, we had girls and boys basketball and cheerleading. And um, right now, this spring, we have track and field. Next year, I plan to add uh, soccer, swimming to the list. And uh, in the spring of next year, we plan to start having spring football and have football going into the 23 season. All right. Um, now, COVID has affected everybody, and, mm-hmm. and I would imagine, I imagine you all were no exception. So, how did COVID COVID affect you? Well, you know, COVID uh, here in Florida is a big thing, man. We had high numbers at one point, um, and it's, it's it's still rising today with the new strands and some new things. And we didn't know if we were going to go to school or not this school year. Uh, but luckily we were able to have sports and our students have returned to the building. Um, it didn't affect fall as much because it was the beginning of the school year and it was just kind of sports was new and we were just trying to get it in as much as possible. But for winter sports, we did lose 10 basketball games due to other teams having COVID, whether it was just COVID tracing, COVID on the team, COVID on the coaching staff. Uh, COVID some form, uh, but we did lose 10 uh, basketball games due to COVID that we didn't get to make up. Others we we had to reschedule. Uh, We started out with having good 
energy in the crowds. We were social distanced in the gym uh, with the markings, with the masks, taking temperatures. Um, but as COVID, you know, canceled more and more games in our area, we eventually had to limit our visitors uh, or our fans to two people per player. And that's usually mom and daddy. So uh, that's how we finished the season. And uh, I'm 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 really over COVID. It's a serious thing, and you have to take your precautions. Uh, but it did affect us uh, in sports this year heavily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, almost not many people at all. That definitely will affect. Right. Right. Now, leadership is important in every arena. That's right. I the men and the women and the athletic director. Mm-hmm. What kind of things to address leadership? Well, uh, first, you have to surround yourself with good people. Uh, um, As you surround yourself with good people that want to follow your leadership and not trying to undermine your leadership, as adults, it makes your job a lot easier. Um, Throughout the building, uh, and what I try and pass down to our kids is just being accountable. That's the first step in having good leadership is showing up, showing up for the kids, showing up for your staff, showing up for your school, just being accountable and and doing the right thing all the time. Uh, I actually have a leadership council here with young students. I call it Young Men in Action. And uh, it started out as, you know, just a group of kids who I thought needed a mentor, but now they have such grown into leaders themselves and be able to be leaders in the building Um so that's something outside of sports, but it started in our, with our young men on the basketball team, uh, just trying to help them have leadership quality, something that they can take away from the court. Uh, since then, they now work at the elementary school, leading our young people. They're trying to be the leaders of the school and uh, doing some positive things. But my leadership um, here at school and my my leadership style is, one, doing by example, I never ask anybody that works under me to do something that I wouldn't do myself. Um, I believe in discipline. I believe in constructive criticism, but I believe in building strong bonds before you can do any of that, any of those things. Uh, I lead with love. I lead with uh, good character, and I try and let our young men see one uh, another young black man doing those things because outside of the sports arena you see so many different areas and young men portrayed in so many different uh, aspects. So I really just try and lead by example and lead with love. Um, sometimes you got to have a stern hand. I believe in that as well. When you mess up, you got to learn the consequences, and you need to learn them early because if you go into life as a young adult and you haven't re- – uh, been able to experience those consequences when you've done wrong, then the world's not going to give you a, a second chance. So uh, we had a lot, a few discipline issues that we had to take care of, but since then those young men and those young women have learned from it. They, they, they've grown from it, and now we're pushing right in the right direction. That is, that is something that, uh, you know, you was talking earlier about 
how there's so much to learn from athletics, and I agree with mm-hmm. you wholeheartedly. And one of the things that I've found to be true is athletics is one of the last places where kids are consistently held accountable. Absolutely. Not just, it's about your teammates and, and what you do is going to affect them. So I think it's extremely important that, that kids are involved in athletics. Now, Definitely. Here's, here's, a, here's a question for you because we've done some research on, on, on this. At what age do you think the average kid retires from athletics? I'll say the average kid uh, is somewhere in the 13 to 14 age range. That's about the age range that I've witnessed it. Either you have to love it to continue or something else grabs your attention that you may be excited about. That's that age heading into high school. Uh, So I'd say the 13, 14-year-old age range. uh, What's your research, sir? This is about a year and a half, two years old, Mm -hmm. but 10 and a half. Mm. Man, early. And as you said, some of it is um, that something else grabs their attention. Mm-hmm. Most likely, that PlayStation or or the Xbox. Right, right. Some right. of it that some kids can't afford to play. Uh, right. To play two sports, it costs about twelve hundred dollars on average mm-hmm. for a kid to play two. And that's not including, you know, your AAU stuff, whether it's soccer, right. baseball, basketball. That's just, that's mm-hmm. just playing wrestling. I'm a. Uh, I'm a big I'm a big AAU guy. I'm a unique I'm unique in the way in the sense that most high school coaches are big right. AAU people and vice versa. But uh I've saw the benefits of what AAU basketball can do for uh a community for young people who strive to go further in high school, who wants to develop when done the right way. That's important. When done the right way, AAU basketball is a big benefit, but it is expensive. You talk about trips out of town. You talk about families having to get hotels, pay to be on teams, and it, it gets expensive. Uh, but it does definitely have a benefit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not saying it doesn't have a benefit. I'm just saying that it is. And that's part of the it reason is. why some kids hire. Or, or, you know, uh, one thing I realized early on uh in high school coaching. And this stands true for probably every sport except high school football. College mm-hmm. coaches don't go to high schools anymore. If your kid aspires to play college basketball, you have to go where the college scouts are going to see you. Uh, and in my experiences, especially girls' basketball, high sc- college coaches aren't in the schools unless you're that big fish. Um, so most right. that's that's how most people get led to AAU basketball. Yeah, and and really, uh, the coach that is at the high school basketball game is probably the football coach because he wants to see that kid play right. basketball. Right, right, yeah, absolutely. Uh, a college basketball coach. Uh, grow, 
I took my girls' basketball teams for the last five years before I got here to the biggest tournaments on kind of the East Coast. One, Battle of the Burroughs, a thousand teams there, a thousand college coaches. And when a college coach can see most of the good kids in one weekend, that's when they do all their recruiting. Uh, now, obviously, if you're a top 20 ESPN, all this and that, they're going to know who you are. But if you are not on that list and not on the radar and you're trying to be seen, it's where you have to go. And I think that's true for baseball as well. It um, is. Baseball, uh, vo- girls' volleyball is one of the biggest. Uh, soccer is growing really, really fast. Um, but club, volleyball, basketball, soccer, all those things are, are really, really where most of the recruiting is done. And my experiences, football is just traditional. In the states that I've lived in, as of South Carolina and now Florida, it dominates the, the, the high school sports. So, obviously, college coaches are going to go there. And there's not like a – that's 707 is growing, Elite 707, but it's not like the other clubs of AAU basketball and volleyball and those things. Uh, it's Part of that reason is a kid can look great in 707 and cannot right. play football. It may not translate. It may not translate. Yeah. I've seen it a million yeah. times. It is different because when you know you might get hit, those alligator arms start coming. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right, exactly. A little easier to fit that ball in between. A little easier to fit that ball in between the corner and the safety when that DN is not bearing down your throat. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And you know that uh, if, I, if I catch this ball, I don't have to worry about my head getting taken off. Yeah, right, right, right. It's, uh, it's a little different. It's a little different. There's no doubt about it. It is a little different. Now you talk about football being the the deal. Let me because you know I was in Texas for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. It's something interesting that they was doing in the San Antonio area of Texas. Your your uh, seventh grade year because you know you don't you can't play middle school football in the sixth grade. Right. But your seventh grade. If you do not play football, you cannot play any other sports. Really? Oh. Yes. They would not allow you to play golf. <laughs> that's serious. Baseball. If you don't play football, your seventh grade year. So, so the thing was like, they were like, hey, you need to go on and come out your sixth grade year and play some tackle football because you got to play next year. That doesn't need to be <laughs> yes, your first sir. time. Right. Right. I know that uh, in a, in a lot of places, in a lot of places, they're playing flag football longer. Uh, right. When I grew up, I played tackle football at six years old. Uh, oh, yeah. My son played at six years old, but mm-hmm. he now has transitioned to liking basketball more. I think that it may come from starting at such a young age. Um, but the culture of where I grew up at in Grist, South Carolina is uh, we're a football tradition town, and you get right to it. And I didn't make him play, but I think he thought that my daddy played, my uncles played, my granddaddy played, I'm supposed to play. 
<laughs> you know, and he was good at it. Uh, but he's gravitated more to basketball. That may come <laughs> from Daddy being in the gym all the time. But uh, I definitely think it's something to starting young where a young kid can be capped and have a ceiling and may not want to pursue it anymore. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And that's, for football, I kept my kids away until <clears throat> they got into the mm. – my, my youngest didn't play until the fifth grade. Fifth grade is the first right. time that, that I looked yeah, that was just so he can get if I could go back and do it over, I may do it a little different. But uh, he may just be born to be a hooper. <laughs> right, but Daddy's a hoop coach now, so I'm I, right. I got to be around right. Dad. <laughs> I don't coach him though. Uh, exactly. I have a unique. That's my time to sit in the stands and yell at everybody else, like they yell at you on game day. <laughs> but uh, I try to uh, give him his space. You know, being you know, you know, not joking. I try and give him his space. I try and respect his coaches, and because uh, I know how the other side of it feels. If I want to tell him something, I wait till we in the car or at home. Or, you know, we have our time. I let his coach be his coach, and uh, we move. That's how we move. That's how we we handle that situation. Hey, as our time is here coming to a close. And uh, mm-hmm. um, let me ask you one last question. Yes, sir. Give a piece of advice to a young person um, as they strive to get to the collegiate level or even the professional mm-hmm. level. Uh, what advice be? Well, I always start when giving young people advice is the first thing I always tell them is whatever your family tree or your family history, or your family situation, whatever situation you grew up in, whether it's in poverty, from a bad background, from two-parent home or single mom, that does not have to be who you are, first of all. You get to decide every day who you want to be and how you want to act and, and how you want to carry yourself. So that's always the first advice I give to my young men and women. But our young people that want to get to the next level, you have to be dedicated in what you do. You have to be dedicated so much that you want to change your situation or you want to earn the opportunity to get to the next level because you're not the only one with that dream of getting to the next level. There's a person at the next school. There's a person at the next county. There's a person in the next state. There's a person on the same team that has the same goal as you. What sets you apart from those people? Now, here at San Jose Prep, being a, a A-plus charter, dual-credit academic school, everybody here makes good grades. Uh, <clears throat> so I challenge my young people here to be better than the next person that's trying to go after that that academic scholarship, that athletic scholarship, and uh, really keep that in mind. Don't just take for granted that you're good at your at your job. Don't just take for granted that you can score on your team or your your grades are good enough for your team. You're competing with people all over the world. So you have to set yourself up for to have those opportunities and don't be comfortable in your situation. Some kids like being a big fish in a small pond, but that small pond is not the same pond you're going to go play in in, in, in college and 
hopefully at the pro level one day if that's what they aspire to. So uh, I tell them to be accountable. I tell them to compete every single day on and off the court, whether it's in the classroom, weight room, court, social media, uh, everyday walk of life. Compete with the next person to be the one that they want to give the scholarship to. And that's just in all areas of your life. Sometimes we think that you just have to compete on the court, but everybody can. It's a lot of people that's good in basketball or good in football. When that college recruiter comes to you, what sets you apart? Are you better than that other person in academics? Are you have a better discipline discipline record in your school? Do you have clean social media compared to someone who don't? You know what 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 sets you apart from the next person that's. Uh, compete for that same scholarship or that same opportunity. So that's how I lead my young people here. That's my advice always. Your situation that you come from, don't make you who you are. Be who you want to be and compete every single day in all areas of your life because college coaches are looking at all areas of your life, not just what you can do with the ball in your hand. No doubt, man. Great words, man. Great words. We appreciate it. And we will get you back on again sometime here in the future. So, uh, well, I love. So thank you for having me. And if I can help you guys in any way, give me a call. All right now, hey, um, let me go on and, and put this out there for you. June 26, okay, mm-hmm. in uh, Conway, South Carolina, we're gonna have okay. our fifth football and cheerleading camp. So we want okay. you to go on and pull those. One more time, that whistle out one more time from the football side and come help them uh, and help coach our kids. Hey, listen, I haven't given up uh, my whistle forever. It's just what I met with the situation we have at the moment. If the right situation came to get back into coaching football, I may. Uh, I'm happy here at San Jose Prep, and we'll have football soon, but I'll definitely, uh, if you need me there, all you got to do is send me the invite. I'll be there to assist in any way that I can. We'll get that invite out. But, hey, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in a few.
Doing this is Everett Sands with West Foundation Sports Talk Show. We're back, <clears throat> and I have with us Miss Lynn Mincer, who's the DFO at Missouri State. Lynn, how's everything going? Everything's great. Everything's you know we're we're doing our new spring season, which is a little bit different. Um, you know we've never done a spring football season before um but we're we're one and oh right now we we beat western illinois this past weekend and we open up at home this coming weekend so it's good right now we just got to keep rolling nice well tell us a little bit about yourself about your journey and how you became a dfo well i started out um i actually went to school at coastal carolina um and i started out working in um, the athletic department as work study. I worked for a couple of the athletic directors just uh, in the compliance office. I did event management, um, like game day operations, that kind of stuff. And then when Coastal started their football program uh, in '02, that first season that they just practiced, um, I had been working in the athletic department for about a year, so they were like, hey, why don't you go over and help out football, you know, show them the ropes. So I went in. I worked in, in the office during the day, um, you know, just kind of got along really well with all the coaches, the players, um, and they were like, hey, why don't you come around? Why don't you come out and be a manager and help out at practice? And I was like, oh, Okay. So I did that and just kind of stuck with it. Um, I worked both in the office during the day, and then I was a manager, practice, games. I started traveling with the team that first year that we played a, a full season. Um, and then they just they hired me on after graduation, a full-time job. And I was there um, with Coach Bennett um, through the first coaching staff change when Coach Moglia came in. Um, they moved me over to the operations office, um, and that's when I, you know, really kind of found my niche in football operations. I just I fell in love with it, um, and then about three, well, it's been a little over three years ago now, I got the job out at out here at Missouri State as their director of football operations, and and it's it's been a it's been a it's been a change it's been a change going from the beach to uh the, the back to the snow because I grew up in Ohio but 
it's been a good good change for me career-wise. I love the kids. I love the staff. Um, it, it's been good. Right now, what part of Ohio did you grow up in? Uh, I'm from a small, very small rural town about 45 minutes northwest of Columbus. Um, it's called Kenton. Um, it's not much around, uh, a lot of cows and a lot of corn, um, but uh, about, you know, about 45 minutes northwest of Columbus. Okay. Well, you know, I coached at Ohio U for four years. So oh, really? I've been, yep, I've been through a lot of the nooks and crannies of Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, I don't know if you know, but I'm from Conway. Yes, I did know that. Yep, yep. And, and on three different occasions, Coach Bennett tried to hire me. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. uh, was the first there, and that's when I was at Ohio. So when the program started, I was at Ohio, um, and Coach Bennett tried to get me out of Ohio back home, and uh, it didn't quite work out. I was yeah. like, yeah. hey, hey, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, Coach Bennett, I'd, I'd love, I would have loved to got a chance to work with Coach Bennett. Yeah, uh, he was a, a he was a great great coach to work for for sure. Yep, no doubt about it, no doubt. And then I guess if you were there from the beginning, then you was there with Miss Jill. Yep, yep. Yeah, Jill. Uh, so she was because she started out. Um, she was the first admin that Coach Bennett had, and she's actually the person I worked with when they first sent me over. Uh, from the athletic department to help out with football. So I kind of um, helped her as far as, uh, you know, paperwork, um, just like the process of how things were done at Coastal. Um, so I've, yeah, I've known, I've known Miss Jill since, uh, since 2002. It's been, it's been a long time now. And, and we worked together for all those years uh, until I came right. out here to Missouri State. Yeah, well, see, we can go down the line. I got my boy Curtis Walker. I got Jamie, mm-hmm. Marcus, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of guys that I know from around there. So that was, hey, we probably know each other. And we don't know each other. I know. Well, that's what uh, you know. I, as soon as you asked me about it, I reached out to to one of my best friends, Mo Drayton. He said I've known Everett since we were 17 years old. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. So, and he's he's doing great right now. Just got the uh, promoted to the special teams coordinator at Green Bay. So I'm so yeah. proud of him and happy. Yeah, you you and me both. He's worked so hard to get there, and he's you know he's just he. There's nobody, in my opinion, there's nobody that deserves that opportunity more than him. Yep, no doubt, no doubt about it, no doubt about it. Now, back a little bit to. Your role as a DFO. Mm-hmm. Um, there's everything going crazy. So, how was the fall for you all, knowing that you were planning so, for a spring season? How was the fall? So, we actually, it was a little, we were a little bit different than everybody else. Um, we actually played three games in the fall. Um, we okay. played our big, obviously, our big money game, which was Oklahoma. Um, and then we played a home and away with Central Arkansas, whereas most of the rest of the teams in our conference, they did not play in the fall or they only played one game in the fall. Um, so it was 
you know, we obviously look at every game, whether it was a fall season or the spring season, you know, we're going in there, we're going in there to win, we're going in there to take care of business. Um, you're just trying to be 1-0 and every week. Um, so we, when we were in the fall season, you know, we were focused on the fall season. Um, we didn't really worry too much or focus or look ahead too much to the spring season because, um, you know, we, you know, we were – both those Central Arkansas games, we were, you know, we were ahead, we were in it, you know, we had every opportunity to win those games. So our focus at the time was, you know, those those three games in the fall. Now, obviously, the games in the spring are our, our eight conference games, and that's what, you know, you win in the spring, that's what gets you to the playoffs, that's what gets you, you know, to the to championship. So, you know, that's what we're focused on now. But as far as the fall, we were focused on the fall. And, and now that we're in the spring, it's it's still one week at a time, one game at a time, you know, trying to go 1-0 and every week. Now, so they're going to have a playoffs this, this uh, spring? Yes, yes. So I believe, I know that there was a certain percentage of FCS schools that had to play in the spring. And I want to say the number was 60%. So if as long as 60% of the FCS schools play in the spring, then we're able to have a, a championship, um, like a playoff uh, series. All right. Okay. Cool. I didn't realize they were going to do that. So, mm-hmm. Now that uh, – so did you – I imagine you played three games. Did you still have spring – or excuse me, fall practice? Or was it just yes. three games? And... No, no. And that's what, you know, we really we really are proud of our guys because we went into – we went into fall camp um, normal time, like you normally would, end of July, beginning of August. So we went through all of fall camp. Um, we were set to play Oklahoma that first weekend of September. It actually got pushed back. Um, and we originally thought it was going to get pushed up. So, you know, we, you got to, it just was a lot of change. It was set for a date and then it was going to get pushed up and then it ended up getting pushed back. So, our guys, like, they did an amazing job of just going out to practice every day, just constantly being ready for it, to adapt and adjust to any situation. It was just a matter of, okay, we know we're going to play Oklahoma. When are we going to play them? So we went through all of fall camps. We went through Oklahoma. We had a week off. We went down to central Arkansas. We played them down there. And then we had two weeks off, and then they came up and played us our one game at home so it was throughout that whole time we were practicing every week now mind you we got a few days off here and there just to just to give the guys some rest because it it was it was such a grind they were they were working so hard and it's tough those weeks that you go and you have to practice every day but you don't have that game to look forward to at the end of the week um, but right. but they did a phenomenal job of just coming to work every day and working their butts off and and being ready when it, when it was time. Now, from a logistical standpoint, did you have a lot of guys that finished in the fall and said, "Hey, okay, I'm done," or, or was it pretty much everybody 
was looking forward and coming back for the spring season? We we had a couple. We had a couple that that graduated, um, and you know they didn't necessarily see a career for themselves in football after college. So they were ready to get. Um, they didn't want to just take those extra classes in the spring just to play football. They were ready to get out there in the real world and and start their careers. Um, so we had we had a we had a handful of those guys that once the fall was done, they graduated and they they moved on. Uh, and then we also had um, a handful of guys that graduated in December, but opted to come back uh, for the spring season. And and also with you know with COVID and and all the NCAA rules that are changing and everybody getting that extra year of eligibility. So we do have a few guys as well that will have either graduated in December or graduate in May and still have that that extra year of eligibility. So they'll actually come back in the fall and play again. They'll right. they'll make the most of that that last season they've got. So we've had a little bit. We have kind of had a sprinkle of of all three um, different scenarios. Okay, now let me let me add another scenario and then ask another question. Did you have any mm-hmm. high school guys that in December that are able to play now? So the the rule is that they that graduated and if they played in the fall, they were mm-hmm. the, if they played high school in the fall, they could not come in and play for us in the spring. So we did not we brought in some some JUCO guys. Um, but we did not bring in any high school guys that uh, um, we obviously we signed in our in our signing period. So they'll come in um, and they'll start working out with the team this summer. But but we didn't have any guys um, come from hi, from high school in the fall to to working out with us in the spring. Now, let me ask you this. Um, mm-hmm. um, we're talking about the rules where the, everybody got an extra year. Yes. And from what I understand, um, NCAA has said, hey, everybody gets an extra year uh, as long as you can afford it. Correct. Um, what is the thought process with you all? Are y'all going to say, hey, we're going to bring these kids back? Or is it, well, we're going to go and assign this high school kid? Or is it a combination of the two? It's it's for us. It's been a combination of the two because um, you know Missouri State is a. It's obviously not on Coastal's level. It's not on you know Alabama's level. So we had we had to make the tough decision that we had to find out which kids um, that a wanted to come back uh, for the fall that we wanted to have them back. Um, and kind of, kind of plan our recruiting of high school kids around that. So we we kind of had a mixture of both because, like I said, some of those guys they're sticking around to play their spring season um, to play the full season, um, but then they'll be they'll move on in May. And so we've got some spots that opened up. We were able to sign some kids, some high school kids, but we've also got a handful of guys that are using that extra year 
eligibility and they'll be back in the fall. So we had to work our, our signing class around um, who would come back and, and what spots we would have open for them. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Makes sense. Now, how do you think, um, and just looking at this from a, a holistic standpoint, the fact that it's still dead, um, and mm-hmm. one thing, they made it dead today now, right? Um, yes, they're in the mm-hmm. so This is the time that normally you try to get juniors on campus. Um, mm-hmm. They weren't able to come on campus in the fall. They can't come on campus now. Um, yep. How do you think that's going to affect the class of 2022? Well, so I, I'll i be interested to see more. Um, I don't think it affects 2022 as much as it really affected the 2021 kids because there's still always that hope that, you know, they'll end the dead period in May, and so, you know, they've got where you can bring kids on campus. They can do unofficial visits in the fall. Um, you'll be able to do your official visits um, before signing day, uh, in, you know, in um, December. So I, I'm still kind of holding out hope that we'll have those opportunities with the with the 2022 kids. It's really been rough for the 2021 kids because this dead period has been going on for so long now that those kids that we did sign in December and in February, they didn't get their official visits. They didn't get to come. I mean, they and even now they can come on campus, but we can't have any contact with them. So, um, so if they want to come on campus, they want to, they want to go on a tour, they have to do everything through admissions. So it's, to me, in my opinion, it's been rougher on those kids that are graduating this year. And hopefully, you know, we get through this, we get through COVID, and then um, we're able to have those those unofficial visits in the fall and then the official visits once we get closer to signing day. Has there been any regulation that's been released on camps this summer yet, or is that still on hold too? Yeah, we're just we're in a holding pattern for camp. Um, I haven't really heard much about summer camps at all um, because the other thing you have to to worry about with summer camps is, is not just the NCAA and those rules, but you also have to you also have to abide by each individual campus's rules. So right. you know, overnight camps, you know. that's going to be up in the air depending on what campus will allow us to do as far as meals, as far as reserving fields, as far as bringing people on. It's everything as far as camps is still, is still completely up in the air. Um, We haven't really, we haven't really put much thought into camp at all just because we don't know what's going to happen. Right. And that's, that was camps are usually a a huge part of the recruiting process because you get opportunity mm-hmm. to actually work kids. And as you said, the twenty twenty one class they really got it bad because one they didn't get spring practice. Spring mm-hmm. practice is usually the time that kids start to blossom. You know they they right. gain some weight, got stronger, 
They start to blossom up for this new year, and all of a sudden, boom, they go from one or two offers to 25 or 30. They didn't get that exactly. chance. Mm-hmm. Champs, there's another time for them to blossom. <clears throat> yep. But again, they, <clears throat> and some places didn't even get a chance to play. Some of them are trying to play this spring. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. One class. But on the other side, and again, you might not feel it as much, but from a Division One standpoint, or should I say mm-hmm. FBS standpoint, they're yep. usually pretty much done with the heavy recruiting of the next class by the time they sign this class, which, of course, that right. didn't happen. They couldn't. So it's going to be right. interesting. Yeah, Probably and I think – I'm sorry. Yeah, I – I think it's been it's been rough for us. It's been it's been hard not only to recruit because you can't have, you know, kids on campus and, and like you said, some teams some kids didn't get to play in the fall so you don't have film. But then also now you're throwing for FCS, you're throwing a full season into this spring semester when this is when like you said, when you do start to, like, you really get heavy on those 2022 kids. And right now it's hard to split your focus between playing the game you've got on Saturday and and recruiting those kids um, that are coming out next year. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's just a crazy, it's a crazy time we're in right now. Now, <clears throat> Speaking of the twenty one the spring season, the twenty twenty one spring season, mm-hmm. what kind of impact do you think that's gonna have on next fall? Well more than anything, I'm just hoping that we get through healthy, with everybody safe, with everybody healthy. Um, I think it's I think it's going to be tough to play a full eight games in the spring turnaround. Um, I think our, our last game, our last regular season game is April 17th. You know, obviously the goal is to make the playoffs to go as far as you can in the playoffs. Um, and those go into May and then you turn around and barring any kind of more craziness happens, and your kids report to campus, um, like your freshmen, your signees, and, and your returners, they report back to campus for summer workouts the beginning of June. So there's not much time, there's not much downtime for our guys to let their bodies heal, to, you know, kind of take that breath um, that they would normally get in the spring semester. You know, obviously you've got spring ball, but that's complete. You know, 15 practices is completely different than playing a full eight yeah. games, eight weeks in the season. Um, so you turn around, you've got you've got summer um, summer workouts, and then you're right into fall camp, and and then you're playing another full season in the fall. So I my concern is the health, um, like just making sure all of our all of our guys stay healthy in the spring and then are able to return and come back healthy in the fall and just not just, I think it's going to have a really big impact on their bodies, just playing that much, um, playing back-to-back seasons like that. 
um, to me, that is the biggest impact is it's physically on the players. Right, right. I agree. I agree with that. And that's, uh, it is going to be a quick turnaround. Definitely going to be a quick turnaround. So, interesting to see. And then again, as you said, if you make the playoffs, which on one right. hand, you're going to be happy to make the playoffs. The other hand, you're like, dang. Yeah. This could be yeah. around the corner. You got to get back ready. Yeah. And, right. And, I, and I, I think we worked it out. If you, you know, if you make the championship game in back-to-back seasons, you're playing what, like, like, like 18, 19 games in the span of, uh, no, yeah, about 19, 19 games in the span of eight months. That's just that's crazy to think of of that that kind of toll it's going to take on your body. I guess, wait a minute, it's going to be more than that because if you go through a, oh, yeah. a full regular season, that's yeah, 11, and four games, yeah. that's 15, and if you got eight, yep. I don't know if they're going to go three or four. Now you're talking about 25, 26 games in the calendar 28 year. games, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. now that I think about it, yeah, 20, I think it's 28 games is what they were saying, yeah. yeah that's, that's crazy. And, mm-hmm. and then you Yep. Yep. Yeah, that that's going to be uh, a little taxing on the body, a little taxing on the body. So, but again, I, the time flies when you're having fun. Time flies, but I got and and I definitely want to get you back on here again sometime. But to finish tonight, if you could mm-hmm. give a advice, what advice would you give to a young person that wants to get to the collegiate level? Well, I, my thing, the thing I would always say to kids is, I mean, your coaches are going to tell you, you know, you, to be a, a multi-sport athlete, um, you know, to keep your grades up, to, you know, focus on those kind of things. But really and truly, from my personal perspective of it, it's also what kind of person you are, how you treat um, your teachers, how you treat people in your school. Um, I've, I've sat through so many staff meetings where, yeah, we talk about how you look on film. We talk about what your grades look like. But then we also, um, I had one head coach that we would always go through the tough questions. Um, and those were questions that focus on who you were as a person and what you did when you were off the field, what you did when you were out in the community. And those are the questions, you know, how do you treat people? Um, do you love football? Like, do you like football or do you love football? It's it's such a big difference um, to see kids nowadays. And you can tell the clear line between kids who love football and kids who love being a football player, because as you know, it's it's a completely different ball game from from high school to college. The the amount of time and the work that you have to put into it. Um, so, yes, your film is important. Yes, your grades are important. And yes, now your grades are vitally important. They're crucially important because those are things that we look at. But it's also you, it's also the things that the intangibles that coaches look for in a kid um, off the field, 
like how they how they interact with um, their teachers, how they interact with other students, how they interact with their coaches. Because you're always going to get where we ask your coaches, well, what kind of kid is he? You know, how, how – and it's not just from high school to college either. Those are the same kind of questions that scouts come in and they ask me when they're asking me about kids that they're looking at for the next level, for the NFL. They, they ask – they watch the film. They see all that. They ask about your grades. They ask about, you know, how – but they ask what kind of person is he? Where does he grow? Where did he grow up? What kind of what kind of family life does he have? What kind of relationship does he have with his mom, with his parents, with his grandparents? It's it's so much more about who you are off the field. Um, well, it's it's about as much about that as it is your your athletic and your physical abilities. So just be a good be a good overall all-around kid and it it just it makes the process so much so much smoother that is very true that is very true good well i appreciate it thank you very much for joining us uh good luck to you all the rest of this spring thank you uh, thank you let's go to the playoffs and and sometime during that time, we might reach back out and see if we can get you back on to join us again. Absolutely. I'd love to anytime. All right. Well, hey, thanks a lot. Well, hey, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in a few.
West Foundation Sports Talk Show. We're in hour number three, eight o'clock, and I have one of my old players. I don't, I don't but uh, my first, Mr. Devon Page. Devon, how's everything going? Everything's going great, Coach Sands. Everything's going great. You don't mind if I still call you Coach, do you? Oh, now you're good, bro. You're good. You're good. You're good. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, uh, we're definitely happy to have you on tonight. I'm happy to be on. Hey, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about what you've been doing since since you left old Elon. Oh, well, I guess after I left Elon, I, I think I took a, a stab at uh, uh, the NFL and uh, realized that um, uh, maybe I should try some other things because uh, – those guys are really serious about their money, you know. So yeah. I, I I took a little uh, step in there, and then uh, I figured that I should use my brains a little bit more than my brawn because that's a little bit more of my talent. And uh, I got into uh, real estate. I got into real estate, and I was doing very good in real estate until about 2006, 2007, when the uh, bubble burst, the housing market crash, and. Uh, I basically lost everything uh, during the housing crash. So um, I was always, I've never been someone who uh, worked for anybody. I've always been somebody that's been entrepreneurial. I've always wanted to uh, work for myself and, and, you know, make my own hours. So I started to get into MLMs, uh, different multi-level marketing, because um, I did a little research and realized that uh, uh, over 60% of the millionaires here made in America came through MLMs. So I decided that I would start try and focus on MLMs, and so uh, that's what I did. I did uh, I think prepaid legal. I did uh, uh, ACN. I did a lot of uh, network marketing. And when I ran across Bitcoin, I ran across Bitcoin in about 2009, 2010, and I started to learn how to mine. And that's where it gets me into where we are today. I got into crypto, and I got into the Forex market in about 2009, 2010, and that's what I've been doing so uh, from then till now. So, well, what's the relation there with, with the level market? Say, say that once again. You were in multi-level marketing. Is there a relation with with getting into Bitcoin with multi-level marketing, or it just happened? To yeah, that, oh, that that just happened. That that just happened for me. Uh, the uh, it was it was an accident. I can tell you how I really got into forex into the the MLM with forex and crypto. I can tell you how that happened. Um, there was a player that uh, used to play at school with us. You know, if you remember, Mike Thomas. Mike Thomas was a basketball player. Um, right. And he just called me out of the blue one day and told me that he he saw this Forex company and he thought that it would be a great idea if I got involved because it seemed like something up my alley. And, you know, I did research on the company and I called him back and was like, okay, Mike, let's let's give this a go. And uh, that's, that's what I did. I got into this uh, Forex company while I was already starting to mine Bitcoin. Uh, when Bitcoin was only like uh, uh, $35 a coin, um, $46 a coin. Uh, that's when I started getting involved in Bitcoin. Um, and that, that's how I, I got involved. The multi-level marketing part of it, uh, there are different companies out that can help train you 
on or show you how to trade crypto, how to trade Forex. I send most of my people to one or two of these companies to uh, so they can learn the basics because I'm a professional trader now. And so uh, I don't want someone who's brand new, you know, coming on board and then I'm speaking, you know, a foreign language. I would like for them to be invested in learning for themselves for about three to six months about Forex. And once they got the basics down, then they come on to my private team and I teach them advanced strategies. So, so Quincy, how long you been doing Forex? I've been doing I've Forex been, since. Uh, I'm sorry. Let's see. I, I know you've been, been doing it for Quincy. Okay. Okay. I've been doing Forex for about um, since the end of 2014. 2014, 2015, I I got serious probably. Um, I mean, there's. I, I would love to give the people the backdrop to this. Um, it's called be serious about what it is that you're invested in. Be serious about what you're invested in. Um, you know, because uh, I got into Forex not knowing exactly what I was doing and, um, I directly got in, in my savings, and um, I'll let you know, in 2015, I believe my first month or two, uh, I lost uh, my first month, I think I lost like $4,000, and my second month, I think I lost like seven or $8,000, because I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea, and I was just stepping out there, and my wife told me, my wife uh, actually threatened to leave me. <laughs> she, she, she threatened to leave me because she said, at this rate, in about six months, we wouldn't have any more savings left. So, you know, uh, I, I heard her loud and <laughs> so I heard her loud and clear. And so I buckled down and actually learned the the trade and learned you know the strategies and learned what to do in the forex market. I, I got real thorough. And in October of twenty, I believe it was twenty sixteen. October of twenty sixteen, I believe I had my first. Uh, my first profitable month, my first profitable month was uh, in, let's say, September of 2016, I lost maybe like seven or $800. In October of 2016, I made $18,000, and I haven't had a negative month since. Hmm. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Is. yes, it is. I, yeah, it changed my life. It definitely did, and that's my motto, you yeah. know. Get out, change your life, and enjoy your life. Yep, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So now, forex, crypto, and your and is this because now it's up? Oh, it was up over fifty thousand for a minute. Is this a fad? Is it, is it here for the long haul, or or what is the background behind crypto and, and all? This? Okay. Background behind crypto is decentralizing banks. Um, crypto is definitely here to stay. Uh, you're not seeing all these coins come up. You're not seeing uh, tokens come up, uh, Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, all these ATMs coming with them on them because it is permanent. And I'll give you a great example on why it's permanent. Um, let's say a, a bank. It's, it's called decentralizing uh, the banks. So, all right, I'll give you an example. I want to see if you think that you've been cheated or if someone's not doing right by your money. Okay, let's give you an example. Let's say, I say, Coach Sands, could you uh, 
could you give me fifty dollars and I'll I'll give it back to you in a week? And you say, okay, yeah, that's 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 cool. And yeah, I'll give you the fifty bucks. So I come back a week later, and I tell you, well, my investment went great. I really appreciate you giving me fifty fifty dollars. You're like, okay, well, what would you make? Did you do well? And I say, yeah, I, I done real well. And you say, well, how much did you make? And I say, uh, oh well, with your fifty dollar investment. I made $20,000 this week, in a week. And you say, wow, man, that's good. And then I say, well, without you, I wouldn't have been able to do this. So I give you $50 back, and I give you $10 more for your <laughs> for your niceness. Now, how would you feel about that? As a, as a person, how do you feel if you just gave me $50 and I made 20000 and I just give you $60 back? You see, well, my mind is okay. I want to know what you're doing so I can take this to the dollars and go make me twenty. Okay, and see, that's exactly what most people do, but the banks don't do that. This is what the banks do with your money. You, when you put for every one hundred dollars you put in the bank, the bank gets a thousand to put into the forex market. And so, a bank takes your money, and while you're asleep between the hours of two and eight o'clock in the morning, the bank trades your money. The bank trades your money, and they make uh, off your hundred or your off a hundred, they make thousands. Off a thousand, they make ten thousands. But your bank account never reflects it. Your bank account, if you put a thousand dollars in a bank today, and came back next March, you probably have a thousand and four dollars. Well, mm-hmm. with your thousand dollars, <laughs> the bank probably made themselves somewhere near twenty or thirty thousand dollars, in which they share none of it with you, and they won't tell you what investments they made in order to get it. So banking has been a scam on the people for years now since its onset. And what you're seeing with cryptocurrency is a way to allow people to put their money, their money into savings uh, as far as Bitcoin, Ethereum. And as long as this process continues to grow, as long as it does, then the people will make more and more money on their investment. Now, there's the key word, as long as this process continues to grow. So what would make that process not continue to grow? Uh, regulations. If the, if the government felt the, their footing in the financial markets around the world, then a lot of world leaders could renege and make it a little bit more difficult. Uh, an example of that is XRP. XRP is one of the leading uh, cryptocurrencies. Right now, I think XRP is about fifty cents. Um, I think I bought in when it was like two cents, two or three cents. It's at like fifty cents. I have it charted going to twenty-five dollars. So XRP is supposed to be the crypto that you'll use online. But when they figured out how big XRP was, when the whole Bitcoin thing started to blow up, the SEC brought a law a lawsuit against XRP for not reporting uh, donations of cash. And so now they're on a billion-dollar lawsuit uh, with the U.S. government. And so it's, it's stalled, XRP. XRP was on its way to a dollar. Once this happened, it dropped all the way back to 18 cents. So if the government or some, um, you know, some entity uh, with the financial institution brings about lawsuits, then that could slow it down. But the process has already begun. Uh, countries all around the world, it, it will never stop. You know, it only can only be slowed down. Uh, countries around the world 
uh, like Belize. Belize has, if you, I don't know if anybody has heard of Crypto.com. Well, they have their own CRO coin, their own crypto coin. So when you go to Belize, you use the CRO coin everywhere you go. If you use the CRO coin today, you can go and stay in a hotel and pay maybe a, a thousand, uh, maybe a thousand of these coins, and they're only at sixteen cents. So you would only really be spending about $16 or maybe $160 to stay somewhere for a week. But if you don't have CRO coins and you're not using their crypto and you use cash, then for that week you will probably be staying in the same place for maybe seven or $800. So the, the currency will provide advantages here in the future. Like if you got into Bitcoin, uh, last year I, I told my wife to buy Bitcoin uh, to buy herself three of them. And I told her, just hold them, less than $10,000. And today, those three Bitcoin are already valued at over $120,000 for her her $10,000 investment. So these type of investments, people wait a dozen lifetimes to get, and it just doesn't happen. So this is showing uh, the masses what decent, what banks have been doing with your money. They have been capitalizing. They have been making money, and they have not been giving any back to the consumer nor the investor. So that's why these 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 currencies won't it won't disappear because the people the people are making money for themselves all across the world in Africa. Now people are able to, to trade and give each other things for a, a certain amount of Bitcoin, a certain amount of some type of crypto. They're able to trade freely. And they're able to put their currency into these coins and make savings as this continues to grow. This is becoming a bank of the people. Now, that's what makes cryptocurrency so special is that it's, it's the people's money. The people were invested in this before any company got involved, before Tesla got involved, uh, right. before Amazon started to get involved. You know, that this is, this, the people were building this. Now, Tesla, and I was reading somewhere that Tesla really, I guess, on one hand, don't have a lot of money on the books, but their stock mm-hmm. market, I mean, their stock market the roof. Um, right. And I guess, do you think that at some point the stock market is going to realize that our economy is not in very good shape? Or do you think how about a crypto? Okay, well, I'll, I'll answer that question in two part in two parts. Yeah, that uh, the the country does already realize that the stock market is in trouble. We're about to experience a crash. Uh, I'm about to meet with my students here right after this call, so we can start selling, uh, you know, hedge funds. We can start selling uh, U.S. thirty because the stock market is crashing. It, it hit a high of thirty two thousand uh, due to COVID. All the people in spending their money and hit a high, but there had been no returns. So when there are no returns, there becomes volatility, and after volatility, there comes a crash. So uh, to let me see how I can explain this. Will our government? Uh, let's see what will our government do? Oh yeah, the government has already speculated that this will occur. So in the COVID stimulus package. In June of last year or May of last year when they passed that package, they created a U.S. dollar coin. 
So if you go on Coinbase or any cryptocurrency platform, you can buy yourself the U.S. dollar coin. And, and the U.S. dollar coin is a stable coin. So if, say, if Bitcoin started to fluctuate and it just seems like you're going to lose your cash, you could dump it all into U.S. dollar coin and, and hold it, you know, before the crash, if Bitcoin started to crash, you know, because the dollar is still going to hold its value. So the government, the United States government, has already figured this into our future already. They're just stalling. Uh, they're just stalling for time in order to get more funds, in order to, to buy into the crypto a little bit more heavier. How much is the U.S. dollar coin? It's worth a dollar. Um, we, a, a lot of me and my, my partners, we, in, we invested in. I, I don't think I bought more than $2,500 worth of it. And I'm just holding it just to see if there's going to be a slight fluctuation. But they do give you uh, 5% uh, interest per year. So um, a lot of coins do this. This is another reason why these cryptos are good. Yeah, it's a good thing we, yeah, that I can go over this with uh, the people that are listening, is that cryptos aren't just, um, you know, money. and It is not just money just dropping out of anywhere. They're actually paying you back. Every day for your investment, like I own Tezos, Tezos give you 12% back a year. So if, uh, let's just say hypothetically, I have $100,000 in Tezos, Tezos pays back 12.4% a year. That means if I spend none of those Tezos, I make $12,400 just for having them in an account and holding it. Uh, Tether pays 15%. So if you're, if say, a millionaire says, okay, man, i got to find somewhere to put this money, and he says, I'm going to buy some Tether. I'm going to put my million dollars in Tether. And so they pay 15% annually. So 10% of a million dollars, up, oh, that's $100,000. 15% is $150,000. So for him investing his million dollars in Tether, they in turn give him back $150,000. Uh, every year, in tether? or you know, in tether? yes, tether. that that would be in tether, right? right. Say, say again. That would be in tether, so that give a so like give them another hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of tether coins. Yeah, they'll give them the tether coin. It's gathering up all the time, but actually, no, these things actually go into something called your wallet. Um, your wallet saves all the rewards that you get. You get a coin. You get a Coinbase wallet, a crypto wallet, Mycelium. These are all platforms where you have a wallet, and the wallet is where your rewards go. So as your rewards stack up, they go into this wallet separately. So uh, let's say I check my wallet out uh, today. Uh, I just made an account in Coinbase maybe like mm, I'll say five months ago. I opened up another account and I held and I have stakes in uh, about five cryptos. And I, I just looked, they told me that I needed to check my wallet and I checked the wallet and the wallet already had $2,400 in it. So that's how much money in return I'm getting for having faith or being an investor with the crypto market. If, to, make it under, to make it a little easier to understand, this is the money that bankers and banks were making and giving to their uh, giving to their investors. Now, if we decentralize the bank, now the crypto becomes the bank, and they pay you 
because there is no bank involved. It's just them and you. So how does the investing novice get started? Oh, let's see. How do you get started? Well, uh, you could always contact me at Profit Masters and get yourself started. But yeah, you're gonna you're gonna need a you're gonna need a platform, uh, a certain business. I, I'm I'm in I'm in partnership with a couple. Uh, right now, I'm in one called Epic. Uh, Epic does a great job at trading and showing you uh, how to trade forex, and they do a great job at getting you prepared to understand. Uh, what you can do in the Forex market. They do this every night, 7 and 9 o'clock. Uh, they have webinars at 7, 9, 11, and 2 in the morning. And, uh, you know, you just pay a fee. You pay, a, I believe their fee now is like $135 a month. And I tell the people that come to me that want to get involved, I say, well, listen, you're investing in yourself. I said, uh, if you wanted to go take a class at a university about, uh, trading or something like that, you're going to have to pay that university whatever fee that is that they choose. If they, if you're just a part-time student and it costs you $14,000 for that half semester, then that's what it is. You know, so when someone says that you need to invest $135 per month, we just say you just say you're a student that needs to do it for a year. You you've only um, you've only invested $15 $1,500 in yourself to learn a skill set. That's going to last the rest of your life. So uh, you you have to probably pay somebody to help you learn. There are not many free places you can go. Uh, trust me, I checked all the outlets. Uh, even today, I still look for uh, opportunities for students where they can learn for free, and it's not very many of them, you know. And I um, I, I I do I think I have somewhere that you can go and learn the basics, but everyone needs a mentor when they get into uh, crypto, when they get into Forex, when they get into binary options, and when you get into buying stocks and stock options. Uh, you, you will need a mentor. You cannot go at this all by yourself or you'll wind up in the same boat I was in. Uh, whether you're a man, you're, you might get threatened by your wife, and if you're a woman, uh, you may be threatened by your husband. To, you know, they may be uh, wanting to vacate the premises because <laughs> you're going to lose a lot of money. So... Yes, a mentor is what's needed. You need a mentor. Need a mentor. Got to find a place to learn the basics, and and just go get go learn. Yes, you have to learn. You have. It's a skill set. Once you learn it, no one can ever take it away from you, and it's very valuable in in this economic climate that we're going into. Uh, the world is changing right before our eyes, and. Uh, as everyone learned with the COVID, that a job is not promised. And it's 2021. So the old industrial era, the old nine to five, all of that stuff died in 2020. And everyone right. understands now, if you have not been on social media or paying attention, everyone's selling something. Everyone has some type of business going because everyone realizes that if you're going to make it in this life now, that you need several streams of income. You know, you need to have yourself three to five streams of income if you're going to have a good life. You know, if you're going to have a better than average life, you're going to need those streams of income. If you just want a normal uh, life coming in the next couple of years, inflation's going up, everything's going to be going up. Uh, the pricing uh, of the society 
is going to be going up. So even if you have a nine to five that pays you forty thousand or fifty thousand dollars a year, you still are going to need another stream of income to put you over the top. You know, this is what uh, the young people need to understand because there will be no social security. There will be none of these programs uh, after the baby boomers leave because they were the ones facilitating it. So everyone needs to understand that you have to get out here and invest in something that gets you a skill set where you can make money while you sleep. You know, that, that is the key. You, you have to get involved in something like that. It is the future. Now, now, Quincy, do you have any questions? Because I know you're in that market a little bit. Right, 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 right. Well, you know, and Javon, I appreciate the information because I've been, I've been trading in that forex market for about about five months, and you, you obviously just hit hit home with the ability to learn that skill set. It's the old proverbial. If you teach a man to fish, you know, he'll eat for the rest of his life. And I don't know if I have a, a question per se, but I, I definitely wanted to, to echo some of the things that you've said. The, you know, the multiple streams of income um, is, is absolutely necessary. You, you see couples today who stay together for financial reasons. You know, mm-hmm. I, 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 I fully believe you probably have over 50% of your married couples who you may not like the person who you, who you're laying right beside, but because of obligations, you know, a lot of them being financial, you just, you stay in the house, if you will, right. because yeah. it, 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 it just, it just costs so much to live. You know, your, your mortgage have a comma in it. Your, your, your car payment is at least four fifty a month and everyone wants a car with numbers and letters you know, in it, right? Uh, right. And, and so forth. So, you know, your kids got to go to school. Your utilities are sky high. It, it costs just as much now to go out to eat at a restaurant as it does to buy groceries for two people in the store. So it's going up, 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 and up. So, um, and, and the stock market is not going anywhere. No. Um, it, it's, it's, it's not going anywhere. And for for, for many of us, um, you know, I've played in penny stocks for for a few years, and you know, we we gamble in our investment life. You know, most of us have had a 401k in our life, and all you're doing is gambling there because you don't even know how to pick the funds on your job. It's just eeny, meeny, miny, mo, and, and and you hope it works for you, and and nothing drops on your toe, if you will. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I appreciate, you know, the insight and I believe you said for folks who want to, to partner up with you, you know, you work on a couple, you said different platforms as far as trading. Yes. Yes, I do. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, yes, and, you know, me, and go ahead. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no. I was like, yes, I, I guess I do. I was going to leave it at that. Okay. Okay. No. Um, no. I think I, I just think you just gave the listeners some, some. I mean, valuable, valuable yep. information. And um, yeah. And, and and like I said, if you think 
if you think Social Security is going to be around here for you, well, <laughs> you, better, you better go ahead and get on your knees and start praying. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> that one's going to be difficult. It's, it's, it's already going bankrupt as of right now. So um, very, 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 very insightful. I thank you for that. Yeah. Definitely. You're welcome. And that's something I just want to add just for the listeners. One last thing is that a lot of you, uh, I know you have a lot of athletic listeners or young listeners. It's okay uh, to trick, to chase uh, your, your, your passion, especially if it's something like uh football, basketball, a sport or af- uh, some type of athletic, that's fine. But you also must think of your life after the athletics because your youth won't last forever and your talent that you have physically won't last forever. But if you find that you're talented in some other form like investing or, you know, multi-level marketing or helping people change their lives financially, then you won't outgrow that. You can do that almost until the day you leave this planet. So that is something that you really need to find out what else are you good at outside of the athletics? Always make sure that you have an alternative. Don't put all your eggs in one basket because if that basket was to ever drop, you know, you're not going to have anything to eat. Well, that that now that now that's a true that's a true statement, and I, I have no idea what the statistics are. One of you two gentlemen may know better than I, but we can't count the number of professional athletes who've made millions, but when it's all over or shortly thereafter, they've got hundreds. They're broke. And and so if if you don't figure out how money works, and this whole conversation is really about how money works, if you don't figure that piece out, when when Mike Tyson can go from $300 to broke, and he, he just—he's just—he's just one example, right? You know, it's just amazing. You think it's more money than you can ever spend, but if you can't understand it, if you can't understand money, you're—you're you're destined to lose it. Facts. That is—that is definitely the truth. And that's why financial literacy is one of the biggest things that we try to hop on here at the West Foundation because. Again, if I make fifty thousand, or if I make fifty million, if I don't have any type of financial literacy, I'm gonna be broke. You got that right. <laughs> that makes you. That that that's what you can take to the bank. That right there. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you're financially <laughs> dumb, you you're gonna be broke. Man, that's the truth. Definitely. Definitely. And, definitely. And I think that is a lot of people that. Are in that situation, you know. And another one, just to give you a, an example, on another another hand, there was I heard a story about a lady that was she she worked as a uh, in a school system. She she worked in the lunchroom, but she was financially smart. And when she retired, she got nothing to worry about. Versus somebody that makes two or three hundred thousand dollars a year, and they retire, or they can't retire because they got to keep making money because they don't have anything saved. So it's, yes, yes, so yes, Dave. Mm. 
don't don't get don't get me started on on that story of how my own mother, who I, I would say I've earned you know three times as much as she has you know to date, and she's live she lives better than me. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> Financial literacy, knowing where your dollars are going, not overspending, keeping a keeping a budget. Right. No. I I hear kids. I I hear kids today. I hear young people say, when they hear budget, it makes them think about being broke. Uh, No, (laughs) actually, I tell a lot of young people that I meet. I say, no. If you don't learn how to budget, you will be broke. Yeah, you know, a lot yeah, of kids say these yeah. things. It's not, they they don't need to live that way. You definitely need yep. to learn how to budget your money. I I teach my son, and I teach anybody that invests with me. Um, out of everything that you make, I say that you you save seventy to eighty percent, and you spend twenty. And my I love the eighty twenty plan, seventy thirty. Uh, mm. That is the way to make sure that in the next ten years you're comfortable. Because uh, eighty to seventy percent of what came through your hand is in your savings. Mm. So yeah, uh, definitely keep that one. Seventy to thirty, eighty to twenty, savings to spending plan. Yeah, that's right. that's that's smart. It's easy to do that, but it's definitely something you want to try to strive to do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Now that's that's a, that's a disciplined life, you know. We we're we've all been guilty of trying to keep up with the Joneses, and then we realized the Joneses were broke. Exactly, they were, they were broke. <laughs> the Joneses were broke. So true, so true. Without about it. Hey, we got a before we go to a break. Um, Jason, you got do you have anything to add? Any questions to ask before we uh, let Mister Page go? All right, I'll take that. I know I'm at, right, I'm about to call Mr. Page, you know. So, Mr. Sands, I'm going to get his number from you. Definitely. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll make sure the coach will get to. Yeah. Yep. Is there any information that you be able to contact you? You want to leave out with our listeners? Yes, I can be contacted on uh, Profit Masters uh, via Facebook or um, I won't say LinkedIn. I won't do all that stuff. Uh, I'll leave a number uh, that everyone can reach me at. Uh, you can call me at 336-512-1386. Uh, that'll be best, you know, because I answer all calls. I'm free all the time. So I, I'm, I'm not pinned down uh, behind a desk. So I, I, I'm, I'm free to talk at, at any time. In this, any time. So you can call me again anytime, 336-512-1386, or you can leave an appointment time at my Profit Masters site on Facebook. Hey, appreciate uh, it, man. And uh, sometimes okay. we can definitely get All right? All right. All right, well, hey, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in the future. Put your pinky, bring the 
Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it should be. And, and there and there are a couple other ones out there that are up and coming um, cryptos that are that are in the cents. You know, three cents, four cents. Um, right. You know, you got to look at you got to look at other options because Bitcoin at fifty thousand. <laughs> doesn't seem yeah. very doable here at the moment. Well, I, you know, Quince, I, 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 you know, my email box every day I'll come in and a different cryptocurrency guy, I, I probably get 50 of those before 10 o'clock in the morning, right? Yep. I slip yep. through that stuff. So, yep. yep. I, I, I didn't yep. buy into it, right? But, you know, that, that was six years ago. It's never going to happen. Yeah. Well, like you said, Bitcoin. Well, I made a mistake. We probably all made a mistake. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I bought some Bitcoin about three or four years ago, and I sold it. And I, I guarantee you, I didn't redeem it at fifty thousand. <laughs> same, same thing with hey. Tesla, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just think, Javon said he bought Bitcoin when it was thirty-five dollars a coin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow, I, you know, I, and, and I, I just I can't stress enough the the information he was just sharing about and you Everett about the the financial literacy. I mean, we we can't continue to be uneducated about money and and these abusive relationships that we currently have, i.e., the ones we have with our banks, needs to shift a little bit. It can't be an abusive relationship. Um, yeah, and that's what it is. I, yeah, you know, Quince, I was telling uh, E uh, about 10, 12 years ago, I started my own business. And, um, you know, I guys travel for work, you know, and I was getting uh, through the bank, I was getting a, uh, the credit cards for the guys, right? Well, mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, it was, it was cheaper for me to put everything on my Amex than it was to put it on that visa through this particular bank. And I told the banker that. And I was like, hey, look, you know, this isn't working out for me, you know. And, and uh, you know, they they, they want to work with me. So I just want, I just kept it at American Express, right? Yep. So. Dude, you're right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an abusive relationship. And it happens every day. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. Again, like like I said, you you're just a guy trying to make a buck. It's not like I had you know thirty thousand employees. I had twelve. You know, it right. wasn't like and, and uh, the surcharges and you know that you know, I set it up where they're they're you know they're 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 taking their debit out. You know, I'm like, hey, look, guys, you know. Why why am I not on on a, every month? I got to pay Amex, but I pay you guys every three weeks. Why is that? So, yeah, crazy. That's funny. Yep, yep. What's, what's the next topic for tonight, Mister Sands? Well, we just we just wrapping it up. You know, um, we we had another great night tonight. You know, we started off with uh, Coach Harris who. Is one of the legends in the Virginia Beach area. Um, he coached at Norfolk State. Went to Norfolk State. Coached there for about forty years. Been to state championships. 
and, and here's one you, of the you, things. You, uh, he, he coached he coached Plexico Birds. He coached okay. three guys, three guys that played in Super Bowl. Coached a, okay. a world record holder in track. Um, so so he's had a, definitely had a, a great career. And and one of the big things that he sort of wrapped up by saying was that everybody has gifts and talents. But it's depending on how you feed those gifts and talents, what's going to happen, which is so true. Because we all have something that we're good at. The question is, are you going to take advantage of that? Or, or is that going to be a positive thing or is it going to be a negative thing? Uh, so that was something that was really profound that he said. And then also he said, make sure you watch your surroundings, who you hang out with. Right. That's a fact. And then we had Bobby Drummond was uh, he started off at the Citadel, ended up graduating from Newberry. Um, he's, uh, he's a football coach, and then he, he fell into to being a basketball coach. Now he's the head basketball coach and athletic director in San Jose down in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. And, and the big thing that he said that sticks out is whatever your family situation is, that does not have to be. You can decide every day who you can be, and that's so true. It's so true, and that goes yeah. back to part of my purpose is to say to West Foundation to hurt the kids. Say I have to make it professional to get out of my current situation when that's not true. You can still be successful without making it professionally, but that's got to be a decision that you make day in and day out. Well, 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 what did Coach Harris say before? Everybody's going to end up in a profession, right? Yep. You just got to pick what it is, you know? Exactly. 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 Because it's safe. Unfortunately, some of them professional crooks. Some of them professional yeah. crooks. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, then we had uh, Ben Mitzer, uh, who's a DFO of Missouri State. You know, the thing I didn't realize is that 1AA is going to have a playoffs in the national championship. So think about this for a second, guys. We, we all play college football. Mm-hmm. There's an eight game. There's going to be, I would imagine, a four-week playoffs, so that's 12. Then in August, there's going to be an 11-game season and a four- or five-week playoff, so that's 15 or possibly 16. That's 27, 28 football games played in one calendar year if you make it to both national championships. Yeah. That's a lot of football. That's what I said. I was was not a proponent in playing in the fall. Um. But you know, if you're gonna play, let, let's let's go ahead and get it on. But I, I don't know, you guys see, they only have like 70 players in, in Charleston right now. You know, I mean, yeah. you guys know what is practice like with with, with that few guys, right? What are sure. you doing? Hanging um, out at the water cooler, baby. Hanging out at the water cooler. Yeah, they wouldn't have made Charlie Chaplin. I guarantee you that. That was 70. Guys. Oh no, sir. <laughs> I, man, 
I was, I was what, a six-string weak side halfback. And, and, and I don't know if you remember, he, this is probably right right when camp really started. It wasn't just freshmen. We just, it wasn't just knobs. And, and I wasn't yeah. stepping right to the hole. And, and, and man, that had to be half hour he spent with me on my that step to the hole. I'm like, I'm a nothing. I'm a nobody. But you know what? Charlie T didn't matter. You're gonna do it right. Mm. You're gonna be out of here on my ball field. Everybody's gonna do it right. Exactly. Got that right. Yeah, and I, mm. I, Lesson learned, though, right, guys? Yep. Exactly. Exactly. That's what made that era different, and why that is the winless era in city. You're right. It didn't matter. Mm. And then mm. the other thing that they do that that uh, to me was unbelievable is. He can yell at the left tackle <laughs> because he he made a four step and then go to the white on the right side of the field, the quarterback, and tell him he did a great job. How do you see all of that? You know, I coached twenty five right. years, I still couldn't see all. Of that. Right. Right. Hey, uh, uh, yeah. Well, only man I know that knew it all twenty two on the field. And the eleven on special teams on the sidelines was doing. Yeah, you, you know what was great is you know some some of the guys that play with him later said the same thing. Quince said the same thing. Man. Said he's the Dude. only guy, that, you know, at, at Central Florida, Maryland, mm-hmm. only guy knew what everybody was doing on the field. Mm. Yeah. You know, sometimes you don't realize you're around greatness while you're around them, right? Exactly. That's true. Oh, that no. True. Yeah. And that goes to show everywhere he went, he was successful. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Went to the CFL, was successful. Where West, you know, West Virginia was successful. Where Maryland was successful. Went to Pitt, they had success. Went down to uh, Central Florida, was successful. Um, hey, definitely uh, a good one. But, hey, but we got to wrap this up. And, and then, of course, we were just talking about it. Knowledge on us. Uh, so I encourage everybody listening to make sure that you uh, pay attention and, and do your investigation on that because it is definitely uh, something that you got to go on and at least pay attention to. You might not jump in with both feet, but you got to pay attention to it because it is a reality. And uh, what's happening with the banks and we have opportunity to do as a just a common guy is uh, definitely something that I think is possible. Hey, we're going to wrap this up. Um, Quincy, Jason, any last words before we get going? No, man, I just thank you, sir, for, for having me on this evening. I really appreciate it. Um, seems like whenever I, <laughs> I dial, dial in, log on, I'm learning something, and that's that's what it's all about. Yeah, guys, I'm just appreciative of uh, talking to you both. Uh, made me think a little bit at my uh, girls' soccer practice about uh, the good times and the bad times. But uh, uh, I, I appreciate uh, being on, and uh, hopefully somebody learned from uh, uh, my story at the beginning there. So uh, I think what you're doing is great, man. Keep it up. Well, both of you all know June 26th. Uh, come on down to Conway, South Carolina. We're going to have our fifth annual 
um, football and cheerleading camp. And again, the coaches are guys that played with me, and, and guys that definitely love to have you all come down. But uh, we're going to go on and shut this down for the night. We'll have another great show next week, so be ready. Have your pen and paper ready. Be ready to learn. And uh, remember, work equals success. you got to put the work in. It's not just going to happen. But everybody have a good night. Got that have right. And, uh, we'll All right, sir. see you next week. Thank you, now. Good night. Good night, fellas. Satisfied. Satisfied. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Satisfied is all you. Sinatra. Big Pepe. Satisfied. Oh, you got the studio shout out. You feel good about yourself right now, huh? Satisfied is yeah. all Six. Hold up, let me get up in it now. I'm here to win it now. L-O-G-I-C, I'm feeling free. I'm finna bring it now. If you know the words, take a step back and sing it now. Never thought I'd have to, but I keep the windows tinted now. Like, Lottie Dottie, who got the keys to my Audi? Last time I said it went viral, I don't f*** with nobody. And I don't f*** with you, you, them, her, and him too. Cause don't none of y'all know a f- thing about what I've been through. And all that superficial sh- you love, I'm just not into. And when it comes to getting deep in this rap I've been through. Like the poop, don't push me, I ain't no killer, but you know the rest. You think I caught the Holy Spirit, how I'm feeling blessed. Ain't no contest at all this whack it just ain't no test. Step and get laid to rest, boy, step and get laid to rest. It ain't no S on my chest, but I'm still gunning. What happened? These motherfuckers still running I've earned everything I've attained And they steal from them Like, yo, yo I'm the most